Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Primetime Rundown, powered by StreamYard. Let's get things started, courtesy of Black Cats NYC and Dirty Little Hipster. Well, unfortunately, we do not have a uh, a button where we could fade in and fade out because, uh, you know, that would be the more professional way. But we'd like to thank Andrew Giordano, uh, Black Cats NYC, and also their new hit single, Dirty Little Hipster. Uh, it could be found on the following platforms, Apple Music, Deezer, YouTube, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, Pandora, Google Play. Once again, it is called Dirty Little Hipster. Hipster. So pretty good stuff here alongside my guys, Ian Schreier, uh, assistant athletic director of athletic communications at Adelphi University, NCAA Division II, and Rob DeLuca, a good friend of mine, and also a uh, a blogger for Pucks and Pitchforks. That sound right, DeLuca? That sounds perfect. Good. I'm Joey Jorzinka. We cannot thank you enough for joining us here on the Eastern Observer and the I-95 Sports Network and the Blackjack Media uh, Blackjack Media Group. Fellas, it, there are three Game 7s, and one of which is going on right now. So I think if the three of us are looking away for a quick second, I think all of our guests will know why. And I know me and Rob were just talking about it just a couple of seconds ago. I'm turning this way. I have the closed captioning credits on here or the uh, – all the, all the, and, and, and Ian, what is that? Well, I was trying to figure out the exact word for it. Uh, whenever you mute it and you put the, uh, you, you put the, uh, oh, closed captioning or subtitles. So I, okay. So I, I, I was, I think I was right or closer, whatever it was. You were there. I was going to say, I, I mean, I should know this, but that's, uh, you know, subtitles is the word you're looking for. Yeah, exactly. I, I really hope St. Francis was not listening because if that's the case, well, <laughs> that my job before it even began. So fellas, uh, let's get things started. Ian, you're looking good. I love that haircut. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, I hadn't gotten a haircut in about three months, so I'm glad, uh, the hair didn't grow too long. The beard didn't grow out too far. So, uh, glad I got to get all nice and clean cut for you there, Joey. You see, you got, you got the haircut. I have the, uh, I have the hair growth in my hair. We're trying to get some new follicles up here because it's not really looking too hot, but, uh, and, and, and Rob, uh, DeLuca, how, how are you, buddy? It's been a few weeks since we've, uh, since we've had you on, I think it was episode number twenty-seven. You were on here. Whenever the, yeah, the uh, when the uh, qualifying round was about to start, we made our predictions. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, the now, last was yeah. It's you know it's, just hanging in there, working from home. It's been going into the city once in a while for sports, you know, because you working in sports, you know, you don't get to do you don't do a lot when they're not playing. So that's right, and I think all three of us can attest to that as well as we all do work in sports. So fellas, let's get things started here. As we were just talking about three game sevens to tonight, one of which going on right now. And the other one that, uh, might have given me permanent heart damage, uh, is gonna, uh, is going to commence tomorrow night, seven 30, right after the Kentucky Derby. 
Where is DB, Ian? Uh, because he should be on here talking about uh, authentic, about his horse. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I know Tis the Law right now is going off at three to five, and by tomorrow it'll probably be one to five. So uh, if I was playing an exacta, I would say pair it up with a long shot and hope it comes in. There you go. Yeah, and I was going to say, I have to hope here. And, and just because of that, and DB, I'll definitely text you tomorrow and say, I have a, uh, a a big cigar for you, and I will be betting on authentic win. Just just get it done, just for you, buddy. Um, so really, really good stuff there. And and let's let's keep it going. Um, Ian, you're a Rangers fan. Uh, Rob DeLuca, you're a Devils fan. Let's talk about the game sevens, and one of which that actually the third period just uh, went underway right now. Uh, currently, Colorado's leading three to two. Uh, Nazem Kadri doing some good stuff. Um, I think also Andre Burakovsky, Rob DeLuca was texting me earlier about it. But also, let's not forget how big of the how big is it, um, Rob and Ian, that Gabriel Landeskog, their captain, is not in right now. Can they get this done and hold a one goal lead? Anybody could take this one. All right. Um, well, yeah, as you see right now, they're hanging on. I mean, if for anyone watching the game, I'm sure it's probably multi-screening one for us and one for the game. But <laughs> I think they're doing just fine right now. They're up three to two. Is, but obviously the goals are definitely not done here because the over under has been six for most games and the under has only hit once and it was game six and the final was four one. So it was only a goal off. This series is known for goals. This game is far from over. But the fact that Landis Cog was not in, he did get hurt in game six. A devastating blow. You really thought the it could affect the Avs. The Stars came out early, took advantage to get a one nothing lead, but the Avs did not quit, and it reflected through the entire game so far. And now here we are, just as the third period starts, and they're hanging on. And you know what's absolutely crazy, Ian? You guys remember the two of you got to remember this. Michael Hutchinson, when he was also when he was with Toronto at one point, he was so bad in Winnipeg trying to back up, um, uh, trying to back up uh, Connor Hellebuck. He could not get it done. And then in Toronto, he could not get it done either. And then all of a sudden, then Colorado comes knocking, and right now he is ranked number three out of the re remainder of the goaltenders that are still playing in the playoffs and all qualified goaltenders with a 1.86 goals against average. Ian, your thoughts on uh, on Colorado and Dallas, and not only that, they are uh, Colorado is one of three teams to come back from a 3-1 deficit. Well, thanks for taking my fact away from you there, Joe. I'm actually <laughs> going to start with that and say that it's the first time in franchise history that Colorado has come back to force a game seven after trailing three to one. Uh, I'm just going to jump point, jump off here for a second and say, I think it's incredible when you had three teams, Dallas, Vegas, and the Islanders who had all this momentum up three to one and how the series have just changed so much. And now we're talking about three game sevens in two nights, but with regards to Colorado and Dallas, they outscored Dallas 10 to four in the last two games In the first four games of the series between Dallas and Colorado, Dallas scored 19 goals. I mean, we knew coming in how much, how impressive of a player Nathan McKinnon is. He's obviously a finalist for the Hart Trophy. But over the last two games, in addition to the goaltending, Joey, I, I agree, disagree with me here. I, Colorado has finally found their offensive 
niche, so to speak. They've, they've found consistency offensively. They're getting good goaltending, as you have mentioned, which was really a huge piece for them in allowing those 19 goals to Dallas. So, so far right now, it's 3-2 Colorado. Um, the Burakovsky goal was fantastic. Not sure if you got to see where where <laughs> that snipe of a shot into the top right corner of a Kudobin shoulder. But uh, it's been a great series. And uh, right now, I mean, listen, Colorado can score with the best teams in the league. So edge to Colorado right now with a period to go. And not only that, too, a lot of us have really thought that Colorado would be one of the, and especially from a few years ago, um, that this team can probably steamroll everybody and make it to a cup final and potentially multiple cup finals. Uh, and we're not talking about over a span of like 10 years. We're talking about like this could be a dynasty um, that Joe Sackick is currently building right now. And, you know, Dallas, you, you, you talk about Colorado finding their scoring niche, Ian. How about Dallas, though? Because, really, Dallas was so bad coming into uh, into the cup playoffs and also into the qualifying round where I have to head back into the beginning of my book here. And it's if I'm not mistaken, they were ranked uh, in terms of goals for. They were ranked, um, I think it was like 20, yeah, 26th out of 31 teams in the entire league or averaging 2.58 goals uh goals for and then goals against they were uh, right around uh i believe in the middle of the pack if you will or actually no excuse me they were ranked number two uh with goal uh, goals allowed so their defense was pretty good but their forwards could not get it going and finally we're starting to see uh dennis gurianov along with uh, Joe Pavelski and that second line has finally started to wake up. And I think the, I think honestly, I hate to say it. I think even though Islanders flyers is a fantastic series, it's getting national attention, yada, yada, yada. Um, and it's going to be on national television tomorrow, but this game right here, fellas, this, this is really absolutely unbelievable to see what Colorado has done. And on top of it too, guys, they not only found their niche, but they are overcoming multiple injuries to top players, their top goaltender, their top defenseman, and Eric Johnson is no law is uh, is unfit to play. Uh, we'll do that quote unquote. And then also, don't forget, um, uh, Michael Hutchinson is technically their number three goaltender, and now he's he's leading this team potentially to uh, to the Western Conference Final. That could be something else. Well, I think you mentioned last week when we discussed Dallas, Joey, was the fact that uh, they, their first, their top line finally started getting going. Yeah. Um, Alexander Radulov, Tyler Sagan. These were players that, you know, you said that Dallas had an issue trying to find the back of the net. It took until the playoffs, and granted it was an expanded playoffs this year, but it took until the playoffs for them to finally find it. And we're seeing players, like you said, like Alexander Radulov and Tyler Sagan consistently finding the score sheet. Yeah, it's it's really absolutely unbelievable. And Rob DeLuca, as he sees, we're, we're going back and forth here. We're trying to see. Also, Ben Bishop not being able to play. How big is Anton Kadobin standing up on, uh, standing basically on his head to make sure uh, that the team in front of him is doing their job? I mean, yeah, Kadobin had had himself a fine first four games, got the team up there 3-1, but when you're facing an offensive powerhouse like Colorado, it could come back to hurt you, and it shows that there's just never any quit in this team. I will say, though, that I definitely underestimated this Dallas team. I had them losing to Calgary in very quick fashion, 
And I had Colorado winning this series in very quick fashion. And yet here they are, advanced past Calgary, and in a game seven with Colorado, which I just did not expect to happen. But Dallas is just, this is just the kind of year 2020 has been where you don't understand what's going on. And Dallas is pretty much out here proving it. It's really unbelievable, as you said, with the year 2020 being completely different, with 2020 throwing curveballs left and right and consistently just throwing us different things to to try and fight off to see if we can overcome any obstacles. And right now with these game sevens is really unbelievable to see where, as we did say earlier, three teams, Colorado, uh, Vancouver, along with Philadelphia, they have come back from a 3-1 deficit to force a game seven. Whether or not those teams come out and win uh, four consecutive games, now that would be something. Uh, fellas, let's keep moving on here. Um, you know, obviously, again, there's a lot of talk with uh, Philadelphia that Oscar Lindblom came back yesterday. That was an amazing story. Um, there was, uh, he has not played since December 7th due to a rare, rare form of blood cancer, uh, or excuse me, bone cancer, if you will. Um, so number 23 being on the ice for Philadelphia, we saw it last night, not going to lie, even though I wanted to pound, um, you know, the, the flyers out of the playoffs yesterday, obviously that did not happen. And as the overtimes went on, my heart would race up, down, up, down. My blood pressure 100% hit over 200, over maybe, I don't know, 120. And you know, <laughs> I was probably having a full-on aneurysm. But, hey, listen, uh, this is this is what happens when we're fans. I think Ian can probably attest to that back in 2014 uh, when his team made the cup final. Um, unfortunately, came out on the losing end of it. Um, but still don't throw that Alec Martinez photo anymore. <laughs> please, please. No, we only do that when, uh, when P when P Mac is here. <laughs> uh, yeah. So let's talk about Oscar Lindblom and not only the, you know, the emotional impact, but also the impact, uh, that he made in the game as well, because AV has been, has been dealing with blow after blow. And this one right now with Sean Couturier out, he had to replace him with a few other guys, Scott Lawton, um, and also Oscar Lindblom made his uh, his playoff debut for 2020 last night, and uh, and pretty much did a doozy. Ian, uh, my MVP of this series so far, at least from the Flyers' end, has got to be Carter Hart. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, he single handedly has forced a Game Seven in this Islanders Flyers series. Uh, you certainly can't say the Islanders are lacking goal scoring. That certainly is not the issue right now. Uh, Carter Hart is just standing on his head in game five, stood on his head again in game six, made up and around 50 saves in game six. Um, Islanders had opportunities in overtime and double overtime. It, it's just been an exceptional performance in the series by Carter Hart. Yeah. The, and just, just from looking at some of the statistics yesterday, you look at the shots on goal, 53 to 31 in favor of the New York Islanders. The face-off percentage always for the Islanders has always been down, but it was down yesterday as well. 56 to 44. Um, the Islanders on the power play really has not been good, but compared to Philadelphia, it has been lights out, which again, really doesn't say much because Philly has not scored on a single power play this whole series. Um, hit 73 to 64. 
And also, let's not forget, let's rewind to what we said earlier, shots on goal 53 to 31. Um, 50 or how many how, how many saves was that for uh for for Carter Hart 39 30, yeah yeah 36 of, yeah for uh 49 of 53 total shots right really unbelievable stuff and also what he did yesterday a 925 save percentage are there any changes that you would say okay well this is what Barry Trotz has to do this is what uh Elaine Vigneault has to do um there's also a little stat from 2015 that I personally don't like to look back on, but I know Ian Ian, Ian likes that stat where I, I could watch that Derek step on overtime goal many times. Exactly right. So there was so the uh, for those that do not know the uh, the New York Rangers were down three uh, one to Bar- then Barry Trotz's uh, Washington Capitals three games to one, and then in the second round of the 2015 Stanley Cup playoffs, Derek Stepan clinches the Rangers. Uh, that was their game-winning goal, so they could move on to the Eastern Conference Final against Tampa Bay. We know what happened uh, in that Game Seven. Following uh, following that, I see Rob Deluca has a little smirk there, as as uh, as he's a Devils fan. It was a good Game uh, Seven. <laughs> <laughs> but now, as we said this, now again, history does lean on the side of Elaine Vigneault in terms of those two coaches. But we have two completely different teams, two completely different. Uh, I don't want to say different offenses, but different personnel for both squads. Um, Ian and Rob, we'll start off with you, Ian. Your thoughts on this Game 7 tomorrow. And you as a hockey fan and someone that really knows about hockey, what do you expect to see from both teams? The only thing that's really bothered me so far coming into Game 7, I'm expecting another high-scoring game. Both defenses will play well, but I'm still expecting another high-scoring game, Um, especially since Philly – for Philly, the Giroux line finally got going. The Giroux Lawton line, which had been waiting five games to get going, finally got going for the Flyers. Um, what's really bothering me, which I've been, which I was reading on Twitter uh, from last night, was the discussion that the Islander fans are having about whether or not they should start Varlamov or Grice uh, in Game Seven tomorrow night. And to me, there's no question that Semyon Varlamov should be the starting goaltender for the Islanders tomorrow night. I see Joey's eyebrows raising, but to me, he started in 16 postseason games for you. You're really going off of one. Really, one and a half games. One game that he actually started. Varlamov is the guy, the rock that's gotten you there. I think he's got to be there in Game Seven tomorrow night. Yeah, you know, I I, I heard a lot about about this topic, and Rob, I want to hear your thoughts on that because I read all over Twitter that even some reporters have been putting out polls, such as Arthur Staple from the Athletic, formerly Newsday, has put out and saying, "All right, fans, let's hear it from you. Let's see what the what we do because." Really, this is uh, this is Game Seven, and there it's win or go home. That's it for both teams. Who do you start, Rob Deluca, in this one? Dance with the date that brought with you, but wow, wow, wow! Did I'm sure every Islanders fan in existence want to smack him upside the head for that very poor performance in Game Six? That because if, if he's even on the ball a little bit. You move on without question. There would be no overtime. There would you would you would already be on a on a plane to Edmonton by now with Tampa Bay and headed for the bubble there and ready for the Eastern Conference Finals. But instead, here you are, ready in Game Seven. Not exactly sure what to do. Look, I do agree. You got to start Varlamov, but the idea of starting Grice—it's not like he's a bad goaltender, and you know it could be his. La- it, 
For him, I'm sure he'd obviously want the game. It will be. I'm sure Grice wants it because I'm sure Grice wants it because he. This is his uh, chance to be like, you know, show me. You know, I'm going to show you that I'm worth the money because let's be real. He's probably leaving the New York Islanders because you have Ilya Sorokin coming and Varlamov is likely staying with Sorokin. So Grice probably wants the opportunity to be like, someone look at me. I'm going to show you I belong here. Well, yeah, not only that, but you also have kind of no choice because you're hooked on to $5 million for the next three years as well. So I don't think anyone's taking that from Semyon Varlamov. But I mean, my question, Joey, is that is the fact that what happens if you if, – if I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty. but if you go to Grice and he's had his games where he's allowed four or five goals a game and really put up a couple of stinkers every season he's been with the Islanders, if you don't go with the guy that's gotten you there – I mean, I don't know if you looked at the polls – but 62% of the vote, I checked, I think it was about an hour ago, Arthur Stable had about over 3,500 votes. 62% of the vote wants Thomas Grice starting tomorrow night. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm the only one. I mean, Joey, I'm curious to get your thoughts on how you feel. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what you should do, definitely. Scratch Mayfield. <laughs> that is also, it's also half his fault. It's well, we'll get half his fault. A second. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. But you know what? I can't blame – I cannot blame Scotty Mayfield for a broken stick. What I can blame is that there was no teammate that was around him to give him a stick close enough or quick enough because it was about probably about two to three Mississippi or three full seconds before he got someone else's stick. That's a problem. Um, To answer Ian's question in terms of my thoughts, well, he's now had two consecutive losses. Um, both of which had under a 90 save percentage. He, uh, he allowed um, 28. He allowed four and five goals combined, co- uh, combined nine goals in the last two games. And this was on 63 total shots. Um, that is not a recipe for victory. And right now, what I look at, Dallas has just tied this game up as well. We'll come back to that in just a second. But continuing on with Grice, guys. Um, you know, right now, the way that Thomas Grice is, this is something that Ian has said before, um, about others is that he's playing with house money. He has nothing to prove. He has nothing to lose. He has nothing because, um, the only thing that he does have to lose, excuse me, um, would be, yeah, okay. A big contract. He's not getting a big contract anywhere he goes. Um, he has, he's been a, He's been a rock in the playoffs for the Islanders going back to 2016. We remember him, uh, you know, leading the Islanders or being in front or, or I guess behind the uh, the team with uh, Tavares leading the charge and uh, against Florida, but then completely stinking it out against Tampa. Um, but then I look back to Robin Lanner last year, guys, and um, Robin Lanner last year. If he would have, let's say, a down performance, you know you can go back to him or you could potentially go to Grice. But if you ever did go back to Leonard in a back-to-back situation or um, or or two consecutive losses and then a third, you know, you'd say, all right, third time's a charm. But Robin Leonard would eventually get back to it and it would not allow him to become Swiss cheese. Here right now, the way it looks, I don't know Varlamov's um, how his mental state is. And I don't know if two days is going to be enough for this. Um, I, I personally believe that there were a few goals, a few, not not all of them, because you cannot blame 
all nine goals on Varlamov. You can't do it. I would say, though, probably about half, if not a little bit more than half, are his fault. But you also have to blame the defense as well. That's also in front of him, too. And that's where Rob DeLuca comes in and says, okay, well, we got to bench Scotty Mayfield. Yeah, because it's not just the broken stick. No. It, not, I, could, I could count consecutive plays where it's his fault. Right. It's not, only the, it's not only the broken stick, but see, this is the part where the Islanders are in a very good position with defensive depth because now you can potentially take a couple of guys out. But again, this is a game seven. You don't, you don't, you don't want to get too crafty. You don't want to get too, you know, you don't want to think too much into it or, or too creative or anything along those lines. Do I think Johnny Boychuk uh, should go in? I don't know. I don't know what. I wouldn't. Uh, I that's wouldn't the thing. Because see that, and that's, that's the problem, Rob, is that where you said possibly take out Scott Mayfield, yeah. you kind of have no, you have no choice no. but to go in with the same six because Johnny Boychuk has not seen the ice since game number one against Florida nearly a month or almost five weeks ago. So now for him to come back in on a game seven against Philadelphia, you can't do that, and now you're stuck. And the only thing that I can see would be a, a change up front, and even then, it I don't see it. The only change that I could see would be Thomas Grice for Varlamov, and to answer Ian's question, I don't see it happening. I see a complete uh, same same lineup as, as what we've seen, and you know what? This is it. There, there is no coming back from it, and I think that you can't put Ross Johnston in, especially for Derek Brassard, who has lived up to his nickname, big name, uh, big name Brass. Break big. Brassard's game. on a roll. You you can't bench him now, right? That's it. And to me, it's not like the Islanders are getting blown out of every game that they're playing in. It's not like they're losing games 3 4 nothing, and Varlamov is giving up bad goal upon bad goal. They were up 3-1 for a reason. A big part of why the Flyers have tied the series is not is also because of Carter Hart, but also because their top line has finally gotten going oh, yeah. without Sean Couturier on the ice. So to me, if I'm Barry Trotz, I'm keeping everything as it's been. It's worked so far. There's no reason why it wouldn't work in game seven. Yep. And the big thing to do, contain Kevin Hayes. This is a guy who had just came into this series and decided, you know what? We may be down 3-1, but I'm not letting us go home. And he's been an absolute difference maker out there. He's scored in quite a few games of this series. And, yeah, that, honestly, I Joey, I said it to you via text message last night. When I saw that Limblom was coming back, I'm like, watch out. This, this could end up very, very interesting for you. And sure enough, he didn't score or get, get on the score sheet per se, but he had a few hits out there. He His physical presence was there. And also just – I just want to say this because I, I know we got to get back, but people – I, I got to say it. On Twitter, I saw a lot of people complain – that like, how could you put Limblom back in the lineup after all? Like, how can you think it's medically okay? Medically okay? Like, oh look, there's the NHL not caring again. Like, this is someone who has been out for months. This is someone who has had medical staff watching him for months. If he was not ready to go, there would be zero reason to drag him into the lineup because he's not an offensive difference maker out there. So. If they felt he was not even the slightest bit 100% healthy, he wouldn't have been there last night. And I feel like people who think otherwise don't necessarily understand what 
the extensive medical process to clear someone in hockey goes through. It's a lot, and it just is something that can, that irks me. Thus, this little rant here. But, but yes, overall, Lindblom made the di- made a huge difference maker just emotionally for the Flyers. Even though we went through two overtimes, and that's I like the- listen, Rob. I like your and and Ian. I, I want to get I want to get get your thought on that in a second because we've said this I think on every single show that Ian has been a part of, and I, I always like to go back to a really good sideline reporter for CBS that we always bring up, where Melanie Collins has said on Twitter multiple times to multiple uh, people that have come in and and. Uh, and basically, um, you know, said derogatory things about her things on the side is that Twitter is a cesspool. And regardless of what we see on Twitter, whatever it may be, we have to use it for our business. But in terms of that, something so stupid to say, because I hate to say it, we look back at some of these guys like, I don't know, how about Anthony Rizzo? How about John Lester in the world of baseball? These guys had cancer. These guys came back and now have made not only an an impact in Boston, in Chicago, in Oakland, wherever John Lester was now in Chicago. Also, they're both teammates. Uh, That, unfortunately, I'm sorry, is probably one of the dumbest things that that Twitter, that the Twitter world could even bring up. If you need a spark in the lineup, especially you're down 3-1, as Ian Schreier always says, you're playing with house money. What does it matter? Put it, put something in and try a different formula. You have nothing to lose. Ian, your thought. I, I think if you guys want to talk about sparks right now, what the Islanders need for a spark is for Jordan Everly to up his play. Ah, oh, he's I been mean, playing horribly. I mean, I don't know what more you need to say to that than that. I mean, I'm not going to put any throw any shade at Anthony Bovillier because of what he's done for that team in the postseason. And the Flyers have really done an exceptional job of keeping Bovillier and really that entire line in check for the most part. It's really been the top line of, of Barzal and Anders Lee. I would say, obviously, Brock Nelson's done a great job in the second line, but it's really been Barzal and Lee that have really produced a lot of the offense in addition to Pajot in this series. But they need Jordan Eberle to contribute now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, well, you guys didn't pay him this money to to play like this. I tell you that right now. Well, well, how much I will say. A big contract, no? Right. Yes. Yes. For sure. And and he took he took what I think it was. I well I don't want to call it a pay cut, but in terms of average annual value, yes, he kind of did take a pay cut. But he did have longer year, or he did uh, the years were obviously stretched out, so it basically came out the same, etc. Helped out the team and uh, for the long run. But right now, again, we have to give Jordan Eberle credit. If it was not for him for certain goals, both in against Florida and also. Um, and that's Colorado now scoring 4-3 Andre Burakovsky again. Um, if it wasn't for Jordan Eberle, guys, we would not be where we are. But right now, this is the worst time to go through a slump. Literally the worst time, especially yep. when you're on the when, when you're on the actually, actually on the- it was Ian Schreier's favorite New York Ranger of all time, Vlad Nemesnikov, getting the <laughs> goal here with 340 to go. <laughs> but and but it's not like Everly's playing on like the third line, the Pajot or something like. And maybe expect a little contribution. He's playing on their number one line, number one line. And like you said, Joey, this is the worst to go through a slump. The worst. 
the worst. And you know who's who actually has come out of a complete slump? And me and Rob DeLuca, we were actually talking about it a little bit last night, is Matt Martin on the fourth line. We're starting to see him uh, score some goals here. So And, and just like that, it's a tie game. It's the other way around now, where Dallas has now just scored. Now it's 4-4. Four to four. So as we keep moving on with this, um, you know, so Ian, your final thought on the Islanders and the Flyers, who do you think comes out on top? Not who do you want. Who do you think comes out? <laughs> hey, listen, last time you asked me that question, I think it was one of the games in the Capital Series, and I took the Islanders. But uh, right now, I think all the momentum right now is on the Flyers' side. Um, I would really hate to go against the Islanders here, even as even saying it as a Ranger fan. And I know my father-in-law is sitting on the couch near me, really giving me an evil look for saying that. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But I'm going to take Philadelphia right now. They're, they're playing real well. Carter Hart is, 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 is right now is stealing this series, and I think it kind of carries over into Game 7. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I have to agree with you there. And uh, me as an Islanders fan, and, and Rob DeLuca, listen, you are the king of jinx. Uh, when, <laughs> you know, well, every time, listen, here's a story. Here's a, right, you want to tell I, I think, hold on, I, I'll, I'll, give a little, I'll give a little preview here or prerequisite, if you will, and then Rob can finish that. So there are times, Ian, and to all of our guests out there, when Rob would text me and say, oh, score, it's over when it's only one nothing, and it's 17 minutes to go in the, fir in the first period. So whatever the case is, how, how, however you may take it or anyone may take it out there, no, it's never over until, as they say, the fat lady sings, and she has not sung yet. No, not uh, even close. But here's well, how that started. Because there were about – the Columbus, it was Columbus, Toronto, actually. Yeah. In game six, or no, not game six, sorry, game four of the best of five. Columbus scores to make it three nothing. There's like seven minutes left in the game. So I'm like, I'm texting Joey. I'm like, oh, it's over. Columbus, three nothing lead. We're moving on here, folks. And then, of course, four minutes go, are, are left in the game and it starts. Toronto gets a goal. And, right. like, and Joey's like, oh, it's not over yet. I'm like, oh, dude, believe me, they ran out of time. 30 seconds go by. They score again. Yeah. 30 seconds left. The game is tied. Toronto wins in overtime. He is forever. I, I have forever. I yeah. thought I broke the city of Columbus that night. I thought I might have <laughs> broken that. Yeah. But it, it, they it, ended it, up winning game five. Yeah. With these. And, but, yeah, it, it, it's, actually, it's happened more than once. Because let's what did I, when did I do it? Oh yeah, when uh the even though the Flyers ended up winning Game Five, the Islanders are down like three one late. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have a uh, Rob, you have a uh, a little knack for for the uh, for the potential jinx. No, yeah, but let, let's I've, I've worked on that since because yeah. I've learned I've learned my lesson enough times at this point. That but, is, I do believe. but it happened, but, but hey, listen, though, it happened only about, I think about six hours ago or, or, or no, I'm sorry. When did this game start? Uh, two hours ago. So I, I believe you said Andre Burakovsky, it's over. Let's continue moving on fellas. No, I never said it. I have yet to say it's over today. I have yet to say it's over. I have not yet said it's over because it, I knew it wouldn't be because I should have bet the over. I didn't. I have the abs on the money line, so this is giving me a lot of problems let me, right let, now. let me tell all of our guests this, and also Ian Schreier, too. We're both New York residents. Rob DeLuca lives in New Jersey, so he's a little bit of a, uh, you know, with uh, with, with sports uh, gambling. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the, uh, I'm Polo on one side and maybe something <laughs> else. <laughs> yeah, I've got the Italian in me, too. But, you yeah, know, uh, I'm taking the Islanders tomorrow night. 
I'm, I think I, I think when it comes down to it, this this game, these are two very talented teams. This game seven, as most game sevens do, is going to come down to how the game is coached. And we know for a fact the New York Islanders have the better coach in this in in this matchup here. It's not even close. And you think Barry Trotz is going to allow three consecutive losses here? Uh, you think he's going to let that happen again after it happened to him with Washington? No. Barry Trotz is going to bounce this team back, whip them into shape, and you're going to see the Islanders sl- sneak by. Listen, Ian, Ian. I love Rob Booker channel, his inner Herb Brooks from Miracle right there. That was actually pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, I was going to say, Ian can probably attest to this as well, but uh, you'd figure also third time is a charm in terms of AV because – Listen, he made it to the cup final twice, and you figure third time is a charm for him to win it. And right now, Rob, I have to disagree with you right now. The way it looks right now, uh, AV right now could potentially be the better coach. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's 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 a lot of uh, you know, a lot of speculation where it could be the end of the regular season for the Islanders all over again. It could be deja vu where we could see an absolute or an utter collapse, like how we did in uh, how we saw it at the end of February and into early March, just before the, uh, the COVID shutdown, we have no idea, but I want to keep moving forward and we'll get back to uh, Dallas and Colorado a little bit later. Ian, I want to hear your thoughts about that Thatcher Demko uh, for (laughs) because listen, you're, you're all over the goalie train right now, but this goaltender, listen, the last two games um, in 047 goals against average, and he ranks number one in terms of all goalies that are still playing right now, which again is only eight uh, is only eight goaltenders, but he's right now uh, on the Mount Rushmore for, uh, and on top of it, he, he is a part of games five and game six winning. Let's I mean, hear it. Do the Canucks need need Jacob Markstrom, Markstrom anymore? I mean, no. No. <laughs> I mean, all he did was make a spot start and results in what he's allowed one goal in two games and a combined 90 saves in two games against and- Vegas, no less. Okay, oh, right. yeah. This is, this ahead, is a third goaltending. And I, I apologize for my reaction on camera here, but, um, Hutchinson just made a glove save at the buzzer. He was down and out, reached out his glove, managed to snag it at the buzzer to send this game to overtime. And Joey, we can have a little fun here, a little Eastern Observer overtime challenge. We can for sure, but let Ian finish this in terms of Thatcher Demko, and then we'll have to get back to that. Ian, finish your <laughs> like, thoughts. On, uh, like on- I said, it's, it's 90 saves in two games. Uh, yeah. he is, he, I wouldn't even say that he's brought the Canucks back from oblivion. I think, I think Vancouver's had a really nice series. The problem is just Vegas has just been by far the better team through the first four games. But Demko on his own – in similar way to Carter Hart, except the fact is, is Demko is not even allowing Vegas to get on the scoreboard right now. I'm not even. I, to, I slightly disagree only with the fact that Vegas has been the better team all six games. It hasn't even been close. Vegas has outplayed them every single night, and and it's literally because of Thatcher Demko that there's a game seven tonight. And I will say, as a Devils fan with Vancouver's first round pick, this is getting on my nerves because. <laughs> making the pick even worse. And, and what makes it even better is the fact that he's completely overshadowing the play of Robin Leonard, who's been fantastic for six yeah. games. 
And I am a big Robin Leonard fan. I absolutely love his story. I just love how he's playing. Wherever he goes, I hope he gets big money as the starter. I'd love him as backup in New Jersey, but that's a little too expensive for just a guy who's going to play 30 – who would play only 30 games. So wherever he goes, I'm rooting for him. You look I back – more than that one-year deal got in Chicago when he didn't want to resign with the Islanders. Well, let's not – well, oh, hold on. Hold on one second. Let's, 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 just, let's just get that out of our heads for one second. It's not that he didn't want to resign with the Islanders. It was Lou Lamorello needed to get someone closest to Ilya Sorokin to come over. And on top of it, too, he originally wanted Semyon Varlamov, which – is in my opinion mind blowing because well, I'm, I'm pretty sure I said that to you last night. I'm like, yeah, let's go of Robin Leonard for this. Yeah, well, that was the whole thing because a lot of people have said this, and this this came out publicly was that Lou Lamarillo wanted Varlama for many many years, going back to his days in Toronto. So you know, hearing that and now him being able to get it with the goaltending coach gurus and and Barry Trotz and uh, and Piero Greco and Mitch Korn the 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 goalie the, the goalie whisperers as they as they're both known around the league um Robin Lehner yesterday really he, he let up three goals in on 18 shots 15 total saves in 864 save percentage um you look again as as Robin Ian were just talking about Vegas has outplayed Vancouver but don't get us wrong here. Vancouver, Quinn Hughes, JT Miller, Elias Pettersson. Ian, we said this a few shows ago, and we heard something. We've saw, we've seen it also um, on Twitter. We've seen it a lot of places where we're starting to see Vancouver fans, and not only that, but also we know how, let's just say, a fantasy world that these that the Canadian media lives in, especially, and, and no offense to the <laughs> Well, they're the last Canadian team left, so. Right. Well, not only that, but also even with Toronto, too. They they literally live in a fantasy world. Um, <laughs> where's my guy? Where where's my guy Ryan Payton to uh, uh to vouch for that on uh, on Sirius XM? But um, he'd be able to vouch for that. But um, going back to what we were saying though, Vegas forty eight shots on goal, Vancouver twenty three. As I was just saying earlier. Again, Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes. Now we can't even say Jacob Markstrom anymore. But at one point, we heard that this could be another 2008 Stanley Cup run, similar to the uh, similar to the Pittsburgh Penguins, where we could see uh, you know Elias Pettersson leading the way, Quinn Hughes on the back end, uh, you know, similar looking like to his counterpart of uh, Chris Letang, and then potentially Jacob Markstrom looking like uh, Mark Andre Fleury. But now we're starting to see Thatcher Demko come in. Uh, and pl- again, I don't want to say if it's beginner's luck, but 48 saves on 40 shot on 48 shots on goal yesterday. Absolutely insane. Game seven comes your way. Nine Eastern tonight. Um, you know, again, and the power play for both teams have been utterly abysmal combined over nine yesterday. Uh, and also don't forget Vancouver had 18 giveaways yesterday and, Va- and, uh, Vegas could not execute on a single one. Um, and also Vegas, 43 uh, compared to 26 hits. Um, I want to know your thoughts, guys, excuse me, on a Game 7 and also this random stat, courtesy of the Elias Sports Bureau. Uh, teams trailing 3-1 to one and winning games 5 and 6 are 29 and 28 in all-time Game 7s. Talk about tight. Talk about tighter than tight. You can't get even the little ink through that. Ian, your thoughts on that? 
Oh, I was going to say, let's let DeLuca start this one since I took the last one. <laughs> okay, there you go. All right. Uh, I get That just tells you the beauty of Game 7s. You never, ever know what's going to happen. We've got one going to overtime now. I'm sure we're going to have just as much excitement. Did we lose Rob DeLuca? I don't know. I was actually going to ask you if that was if that was uh, my connection, but I don't think it is. I think that is uh, Rob DeLuca having a little bit of uh, internet internet issues out in New Jersey. Uh, so Rob DeLuca, if you can hear us, I think we have we did have a little bit of yep. All right, Rob DeLuca is back. Yeah, all right, yeah. I'm sorry. So, Lots. Start from the beginning, Rob. Yeah, very weak Wi-Fi. I apologize, but yeah, that's the um. The beauty of Game 7s is just that you really never know. And we've got one in overtime now. We're probably going to have just as much excitement tonight at 9 o'clock, tomorrow night, 7.30. The beauty of Game 7s, you just never know which way it's going to go. For tonight, you obviously know you got Thatcher Demko. Because it's a back-to-back, you don't know what Coach Pete DeBoer is going to do in goal tonight. And he do- he doesn't even tell you anymore ever since of- because of the drama with Flurry's agent. He doesn't even tell you who starts in goal anymore. He just kind of lets you see it when whoever leads it out in warm-ups. But because, Joey, to your point about Robin Leonard, he very rarely has three bad games in a row So where he'll find it again. So because of that stat, will he get the start or will he go to the seasoned veteran of Marc-Andre Fleury? We don't know. But, yeah, I believe tonight's game – Bad. I mean, I know they put Flurry in on the second half of those back-to-backs, but has he even really had a bad game yet? And that's why, to me, in Game 7, I, I really got to take Vegas here. I mean, I know Demko's a great story, nice little Boston College product. You know, there's nothing – you know, I love Vancouver's story. But right now, I, I got to stick with the hot team here in terms of the team that most people have going to the Stanley Cup final right now, and that's, and that's Vegas. I mean, Leonard's been great in goal. He's only allowing one or two goals a game. Uh, you know, it's just that Demko's been better. Yeah. Um, and 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 the and and they're outplaying Vancouver offensively in every oh, yeah. game of the series. So there's no reason for me, at least, to go against Vegas here in Game Seven. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going against Vegas here tonight. I think they'll they'll find they'll find a way. I don't know how they'll find the way, but they're going to find the way, and they will somehow find it past Thatcher Demko, and they will. But of course, that will require a superb goaltending effort from either Robin Lehner or Andre Fleury. Well, I'm going to throw my two cents out here, fellas. And right now, I think with the game seven on the, or with game seven, obviously, here, um, I look back to last year as Rob DeLuca was just pointing out about the statistic of uh, Robin Lanner. And we saw last year where he lost four straight and was swept against the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, get that smirk off your face, Ian Schreier. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. You know what? Every day it talks to me about Adam Henrique, but you know, last I even I'm even I'm over it at this point. Um, <laughs> years ago, yeah, we went to the final. We walked to the very same Kings team. There you go. Um, so what we were saying earlier, obviously, with uh, to me is comes experience. Um, Robin Lanner right now, he's, you know, again, there's a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a, like a little bit of a stutter, uh, a bump in the road, if you will, for Lanner. Um, but don't get me wrong here. It's similar to the Varlamov situation. And in my opinion, I would go with experience here. And this most likely is the unpopular opinion, but I'd have to go with Marc-Andre Fleury because Ian's point 
Has he really had a bad game? No. no, he has not. Again, and this comes back to the team in front of them. And I t- personally believe that we are starting to see something that was said back in June and July that towards the latter part of the playoffs, we are going to be seeing fatigue from every single player. This is starting to happen, folks. This is going to be, you might see one of the slowest Stanley Cup finals in all of history. Why? Because you had three months off, give or take, three months or two and a half, three months off. And now you're not coming back into the regular season. You're coming in full speed. You're not you're not taking a few you know you're not taking a few reps away or uh, these AHL guys or junior guys are not coming in in lieu of you to potentially take you out of a game or whatever the case is. You're going into this full force, and not only that, you're going into this with the big boys. So, in my opinion, here I think you have no choice but to start um, flurry, and I don't really see any uh, any. Depth changes here uh, for Vegas because they really don't have any. They really don't. No, have any. Their their lineup is solid. They they have no not the only th- change they could make. Much like the Islanders is right. in goal. That's it. And that and and that is the problem. The only thing for Vegas is that and they can roll all four lines just as well as the New York Islanders. They have scoring from top to bottom, with the exception of Ryan Reeves. And don't get me wrong, he can score as well whenever he wants to. Um, you know, he's not the, you know, prolific scorer that, um, you know, that Mark Stone is or anything like that. He's the, the, the big, big enforcer. Uh, but Joey, don't get me wrong. I would not mind seeing Thatcher Demko pull one more out and send Vancouver to the West final. I think it would, oh, make, I I think it would make the story that much better. Oh, the story, they'd be the official Cinderella story of the NHL playoff. Like you get a March Madness story. That would be the NHL bubble story. Not even a question. Yeah, and also don't, and also let's not forget too, Vancouver as well. Um, the way the way that they were playing in the beginning, I personally did not believe. And also when they lost that first game, they were shut out by Minnesota in the uh, in the qualifying round. I thought that they were done; they were toast. It was it was over for them. And now look where they are. Yeah, I know. I had a feeling that they would beat Minnesota. Just because Minnesota's in a bad spot right now they that their depth is low they needed they really could have used that number one overall pick from the from the rigged draft lottery but uh, it didn't end up stop it i mean the the rangers won the pick fair and square yes do i does that mean i agree with the process that the league went through to get there not even a little i would agree with that i will agree with you there the way they went about doing this was what was all wrong. The, the drawing <laughs> itself is fair and square, although he really did fumble the ball into the hole hold before this whole thing started. Hold, hold on one second. New York Rangers? Oh, wait a second. Oh, hold on. Let me, let me, like, you can't tell me we didn't have a repeat of 1985 NBA style there. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Wow. Showing your age. So, so, so basically what Rob DeLuca did is he just compared Alexi Lafreniere to Hakeem Olajuwon, right? Is that exactly <laughs> no, I just compared it to Patrick Ewing, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, well now, that, now that as we were just talking about, uh, Rob DeLuca did say some uh, Bucci Gross overtime st- uh, type style here on the Eastern Observer. What do we have here? Who 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 do we have scoring for uh, for these two? And uh, is it a one team? You guys have one player or potentially two players? Who might who who do you believe will win this game? Uh, well, if with Colorado, I'm 
I got no other choice. I'm going with Nathan McKinnon here. This guy, this guy's been a, a force all playoff long. How could you not expect him, someone like him, to lead the way and get the charge done there? As well as I'm not even sure if he has a point yet. And there and he has a point in every single game in the bubble that the Avalanche have played in. He's on that big of a streak right now. So I'm not sure. I, I haven't looked at the stats. I don't know if he has contributed to one of the four goals yet. He has not. So there's no way it stops now. And if it's Dallas, I mean, you got to look towards some of the leaders. Radulov has two goals. I mean, Radulov has two goals. The um, Jamie, Jamie Ben is a little cold. He's got to get something going right now. Tyler Sagan, those two guys, where have they been? But yeah, I think you got to. Uh, I think it's going to be something crazy. I think. I don't mean to rush you. Give it. Uh, give us your your pick. John Klingberg going to go crazy here. And and for and for Colorado, just to confirm, is Nathan, Nathan McKinnon. McKinnon. John Klingberg and Nathan McKinnon. Ian Schreier for you. Uh, he took my Colorado pick, but I think that would have been all of our Colorado picks. So I'm going to go with the second leading goal scorer on the team right now. I'm going to go with Nazem Kadri there for Colorado. It seems like he, if it hasn't been McKinnon, it's been Kadri. And on the Dallas side, I'm actually going to go uh, defense too here. I'm actually going to go with Miro Heiskanen. Okay. It seems like Heiskanen is coming up with a big goal in oh, every, yeah. every game. Well, I got to tell you, fellas, uh, Joe Pavelski, when he was on the San Jose Sharks, he got a little piece of my heart. So – he still got it here. And Captain America 2.0, I believe, will send Dallas into uh, the Western Conference final. Uh, and then if Colorado is to do it, I am going to go with a long shot here. And it's going to be Andre Burakovsky is going to do that. So I have Joe Pavelski and Andre Burakovsky. Uh, and Nathan McKinnon's streak of a point in every single game in the bubble will come to a close uh, this afternoon or evening, if you will, as that, we that would be a hat trick for Burakovsky as well, right? It would. So, yeah, that'd be that'd be some way to clinch it. That would, that would be pretty good stuff. Uh, n- or no, no, uh, Nemesnikov had the other goal, right? Yeah, no, he did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nemesnikov's on hat trick watch, actually. Here we and here we go. Here there we go. go. Yeah. So uh, let's keep moving forward, though, fellas. So um, you know, this was this was you know, Rob DeLuca can be our uh, our guy to 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 cheer for us here. Um, but a lot has gone on this week in the world of sports, fellas. Um, we have to uh, we have to wish uh, the entire family of the New York Mets um, and also the family of Tom Seaver uh, our condolences from the Eastern Observer, from uh, from everyone here, and also with uh, Ian Schreier being a, uh, a lifelong New York Mets fan. Uh, this obviously has to hit home. Um, for every Mets fan, I wish I got to see him pitch. I wasn't born till '84, so it was a it was a long way off. Yeah, well, regardless, though, is that I'm sure not only you as a sports fan, you've also seen video. You've seen, and not only that, there's something called YouTube as well, where we could just go on there and type in Tom Terrific, Tom Seaver, whatever the case may be, uh, and you could see him see him be one of the greatest pitchers of all time. And not only that, but also the greatest pitcher to ever don the orange and white. Ian, your thoughts as a New York Mets fan on the passing of Tom terrific. Yeah. I mean, it, it was gut wrenching even a couple of months ago when they had announced that at 75 years old, that he was dealing with really a horrible case of dementia. Um, and then on top of that, to, to add insult to injury, he was also dealing with COVID-19 at the, at the time of his death. So, um, I mean, obviously he, he's a legend in Mets lore. He's arguably the greatest pitcher of all time in, of the franchise. He's the franchise for a reason. He's been nicknamed that way. 
69 world champ, three-time Cy Young winner, 1967 NL Rookie of the Year. I mean, he's the, he and Christy Mathewson, and Christy Mathewson was, was, I believe, if you've been to Cooperstown, is part of the first induction class of the Professional Baseball Hall of Fame, yep. um, are the only pitchers ever with 300-plus wins, 300-plus strikeouts at, in their career, and a sub-3 ERA. And with the way pitching is today and with the way baseball is today, we will never see anything like it ever again. So it's uh, it, like I said, it was gut wrenching news to hear it. I mean, we all knew he was sick, um, but it's uh, it. it my, my heart goes out to the Seaver family. My heart goes out to the Mets. Uh, and it was great to see uh, Alonzo with the two run walk off hit in honor of uh, two run homer off the Yankees last night on uh, as they were celebrating the life of Tom Seaver. Yeah, it's really and and I got to tell you, as a Yankees fan and just being from New York, we all know. Um, about Tom Seaver, and regardless of you know, obviously the um, the differential in terms of stars with the Yankees and the Mets, it, you, you can't take away the fact that Tom Seaver ranks as one of New York's best athletes. Period. Um, he he's up there, in my opinion, as not only one of the top pitchers uh, in in all of baseball, but he is on the Mount Rushmore of New York sports. And I don't, and, and I and I don't like to say that lightly because you know New York sports has a ton of great history uh, between all four major sports, and Tom Seaver is a part of that conversation. There's no doubt about it. Forty one will forever um, be enshrined in the New York Mets Hall of Fame, and also will never ever be worn again. Um, but the crazy part that I that I heard Ian Schreier was was that he was dealing with COVID nineteen. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe that. And I was saying to myself, he's this a man is 75 years old and he has a, a bad case of dementia where uh, his family came out publicly last year and said he's retiring from public life. And one of the last times that we've seen him was here at the 2013 MLB All-Star Game, which I was there. Yeah. Were you really? I was there. Yeah. How was I? Wow. That's excellent. Yeah. That's on. You know what? Off topic. Where were you sitting there? I got I got I was down the left field line. Up, up here, down the left field line, as I was watching Seaver throw the ball to David Wright. Yeah, yeah, that's and 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 for you as a Mets fan to see that, and one of the last appearances uh, publicly with Tom Terrific. What was your thought? Um, you know, when you heard that he was retiring from public life, and and again, that picture that we just showed was one of the last that we ever saw of him. Uh, and again, looking looking like there was also um, I don't want to say something wrong with him, but um, for those that ha- that know about dementia, my, my my own grandfather had it, and we've seen blank looks um, from dementia patients, and and I know it all too well. Um, and it's it's something that you can never, um, y- it'll never go away. So there have been times I remember when they showed Tom Seaver on television, and you saw it uh, loud and clear um, that there was that there was that blank look where it was he was scared, he didn't know where he was, and. Um, but going back to what I was saying, Ian, it's very difficult. You're, you're 75 years old and your mind is no longer there. And then all of a sudden you contract COVID-19 and this is how this was your demise. That's so tough. Yeah, I'm sure a, a big part of it was he knew he had onset dementia at the time. If not, it, it would maybe it was years leading up to the point. Mm-hmm. Um, but with regards to Seaver, I mean, he, I'm sure he and his family didn't want to show him in a negative light, show him the fact that Oh, yeah. He had dementia. I'm sure it wasn't something that they wanted to let people know publicly that, that he was dealing with. It was only a couple of months ago when they had actually announced it. Uh-huh. I mean, I will say, yes, the All-Star Game appearance was 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 fantastic. But to me, I think what, what I loved even more, more than the All-Star Game appearance was 
when they closed Shea Stadium in 2008 and him and Piazza walked out the center field wall. And then I was there opening night when City Field opened in 2009 and uh, him and Piazza walked right back in together as kind of the two the two pieces of the franchise of the Mets, the two cornerstones of the Mets and walked in and threw the first pitch uh, at City Field as if there was a nice transition from Shea to City Field. That to me hit more more at home than uh, than the All-Star game for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and again, you as a, as a lifelong New York Mets fan, it again, it 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 really it it must hit home, and um, you know, to see someone to, to see this, to see in the history books, um, and and again, we're all we're all sports fans, so we watch we watch videos, we watch um, we watch uh, some uh, you know, the biographies, documentaries, etc., Yankeeographies for us Yankees fans, um. You know, Tom Seaver again will live like, on. In a way, Joey, Seaver's last appearance is kind of the same way Ted Williams went out. Yes. Uh, everybody remembers the 1999 All-Star game when uh, he had got the golf cart ride around Fenway Park. Yep. And I think he died uh, not long after that. Yep. So, uh, I mean, obviously, I don't want to say he kind of went out on top. That's not the right way to say it. But I'm glad he kind of got it, his one last farewell. Yeah. And all excuse excuse my chuckles for that, but I I I like the way I like I do like the way you said that. Um, but again, all all joking aside, though, we look look also back to um, George Steinbrenner um, when in 2008 when they were closing Yankee Stadium and he had no idea where he was. Um, you know, there were bouts where he was looking he was looking up and he he didn't he really didn't know. And then for a quick second, then he waved, but. It was for for the most part he was extremely in awe, but also then again um, he really did not know where he was. Rob DeLuca, um, again, we're both Yankees fans, but again to hear Tom Seaver, um, you know, we've heard all about him, we know all about him. He's he is one of the best pitchers in New York history, not only Mets, New York baseball history. Uh, what did you think about when you heard this? Um, yeah, I mean, look, this, this just felt, especially after the week we were having in sports with people we lost and then they throw and then 2020 throws us that punch. Are you kidding me? Like we had just lost John Thompson, Georgetown legend. And now day, what was it? 12 hours later, I think we lose Tom Seaver. It was, that was like the worst 12 hour span I think I've ever seen in, in terms of sports, in, in terms of people we've lost. I mean. The two absolute legends, different sports, but they both impacted their their sports in so many ways for the only positive ways. And it just is so unfortunate that, as you said, of all the things that Tom Seaver has gone through, that it was this virus to do it. Just terrible. Yeah, it, it it's it's really it it really is um, a shame and really 2020. Please speed up and and get the hell out of here for sure. Because again, we haven't gotten to John Thompson yet to speak about him, but um, we'll get to that a little bit later. I know that that was not really on our uh, on our prompter or something that we didn't even speak about. Which honestly, in um, in in my, I apologize for that because John Thompson is he's he's another legend in in the world of college sports, but also in the world of sports. Period. What he's made, um, what he's done for for the world for the for the world. Period. And then also with the world of uh, basketball as well. So uh, concluding with Tom Seaver, three hundred eleven wins, two hundred five losses, a career two point eight six uh, earned run average. In 4,783 innings pitched, 3,640 career strikeouts, 
he actually had one save. He started 647 games, and he also he appeared in 656 total. Um, George Thomas Seaver will never be forgotten. Um, let's keep moving forward, fellas. And uh, and as we did say just a couple of minutes ago, uh, the legendary John Thompson, uh, he did pass away as well. Um, he was not a well man towards the uh, towards the latter part of his life. Um, Georgetown, Georgetown head coach, Hall of Fame head coach. Um, his son, John Thompson, the third was let go from, uh, from Georgetown following, uh, the 2017 season, uh, 2016, 17 college basketball season where, uh, the all too, uh, all too known, uh, Chris Mullen, John Thompson, uh, fight, uh, towards, uh, or the last, the last game of the, uh, of their season, which was the Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden, uh, there was a little bit of a, of a rumble, if you will. Jamarco Pickett, Marcus Levette, Chris uh, Chris Mullen got involved. John Thompson got involved in there, um, but his father, John Thompson, the second guys, um, you know, and just off the cuff here, um, you know, Lou Carnesecca is is ninety eight or ninety nine years old in that range, and we lost John Thompson almost twenty years um, ahead of um, you know the age or twenty years younger. Um, and he was also, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, in a wheelchair um, towards the latter yeah. part of his life. So um, just a little quick thought um, on John Thompson from, you know, just just from what we know in our heads, guys. Ian, I want to start with you first. Yeah, I mean, before the Seaver news, I, I saw the news about John Thompson when that broke. And, uh, you know, my heart sunk for, for a man that is a legend, a legend, I should say, in college basketball and Georgetown lore. Um, had the opportunity to win national championships, had the opportunity to coach um, transcendent basketball players that came to the NBA, like Patrick Ewing, like Allen Iverson. Um, you know, they uh, it, it's it's a horrible loss. I mean, what I loved so much about John Thompson was was how he how he was off the court. I mean, obviously, everybody remembers the great sweater game with uh, with Lou Carnesecca and Louis always wore. The sweater and he opened up his uh, suit jacket and was wearing a shirt that had the sweater that had the same design yep. but for me for someone that works in college athletics and understands the life of a student athlete um was to me what was most important to john thompson was watching his student athletes graduate um he's you know he is one of the advocators and on the same way of non-pay for play he believes that you get a free college education you are getting paid and it's just it's just a shame to lose a man that was such a legend and uh He'll be sorely missed, especially around college basketball, around about around the game as a whole. Yeah, um, around the game as a whole is really is really the biggest thing, and especially from um, a Big East alum to hear all about to learn about John Thompson when um, you know you don't really know much about him, and then you hear about it, and then when you go to St. John's and the history between St. John's and Georgetown, where it was at one point almost like Yankees and Red Sox almost in in the world of college basketball in the old Big East. And uh, Lou Carnesecca, John Thompson, we, we we really lost a legend here. And uh, and this one, um, he'll never not only he'll never be forgotten, but exactly what what uh, what Ian said though was that where where we are today with college basketball and college uh, sports in general, uh, John Thompson has his uh, his fingerprints all over it, and he will again be dearly missed. Rob DeLuca, your thoughts. Uh, on John Thompson, especially because you are a diehard St. John's fan and you also know about the battles 
between, we remember, Patrick Ewing, Chris Mullen, John uh, John in the second, and also Luke Karnaseka. This can be considered like a core four, if you will. It's very true. I mean, yeah, you got yeah Louis Karnaseka, 95 years old now, and you go back all those years, and you just remember. I mean, obviously, I wasn't, we weren't there for him not being born yet, but. Look, yeah, I'm not. I wasn't a fan, a fan of him because he coached Georgetown. But you know, you still the word respect comes into play here, and you have the utmost respect for a man like this, just a guy who took so many, took so many college players and just groomed them into NBA superstars. Pretty much, you know, he he gets so much credit for the legacies that Patrick Ewing, Allen Iverson, and and more have and is in large part to someone like john thompson yeah i mean you want a good i mean if you want a good two-hour watch and i'm sure both of you gentlemen have have seen it i mean the 30 for 30 requiem for the big east um is a is a tremendous 30 for 30 produced by espn um i would say for the better part of an hour and a half of it it focuses mainly on basketball before they talk about the football side and how the big east came to be and discussing you know the role models that we, we we've lived by from the, with the sport of college basketball with people like Luke Carnesecca, John Thompson, Jim Beheim, Raleigh Messamino, guys like that that have really made the sport of college basketball the way it is today. So I would, if you really want a little more information about the kind of guy John Thompson was, that's a great watch. Yeah, absolutely, and I and I can attest to that because I remember watching that right when it first came out, and uh, it's you know obviously with with uh, the Big East you think of basketball right away, and uh, you know football obviously is um, you know the number one money maker in uh, in college sports today, but um, but also you know, we look back and, you know, again, the new big East is all basketball that it eventually, uh, the old big East, eventually UConn football, um, you know, Rutgers football, um, you know, but it, it, nothing, nothing is ever good in the big East as big East basketball that it, it, it just is. And again, from, from one that got to witness it, one that got to work in it. Um, it's, it's really an amazing sight. And uh, again, just to wrap it all up, John Thompson, he's going to be missed uh, the battles today. Um, there's always a conversation about John Thompson in there wherever, and his name always does pop up in a Georgetown sentence. Um, and I'm sure it's also nice to say the fact that with John Thompson gone, that the person that's sitting in his chair now is a guy he coached in Patrick Ewing. So, exactly. Yeah. So that's for sure. And we're going to see um, a lot of, um, might see some some good spirits from uh, from from Johnny um, if there is college basketball this year. Um, let's move to something positive. Dallas, yeah, just as we were talking, just clinched the series uh, four to three. Uh, it's it, Dallas. Uh, but you know what? Hey, listen, guys. Uh, Ian did say that Philadelphia has that momentum, but hey, listen, Dallas. <laughs> just proved it. You Dallas, can check your prediction with Philadelphia too, there, Joey. And it was none uh, <laughs> of us won because it was, it was Kiravanta completing yeah. his completing his hat trick yeah. to send Dallas to the next round. To the and let's final. not forget, fellas, too. Um, you could blow a three-one lead and you could still win the series. So That's it's right. So Vegas and Islanders be on the lookout here. Uh, let's get into into uh, let's get into actually let's go baseball. Let let let's. Uh, shuffle the dice here a little bit and um you know the mlb trade deadline was uh was last monday and uh it, it, and when i say last monday i mean uh 
just like four days ago. And it seems like it was like 10 weeks ago, but you know, my days are all messed up as we've said to Ian Schreier almost every week. Uh, I thought Ian's been on for all 35 episodes, but Hey, listen, what do I know? <laughs> uh, you know, I think so, it's only been four, Joey. I think it's huh? only been four. I think yeah, it's only exactly. four. Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, and, and for every single time we, we, uh, we really appreciate you being here continuously as well. Um, again, for those that are just tuning in 11 minutes past the top of the hour, uh, pucks and pitch port, uh, pitch forks, blogger, Rob DeLuca and assistant athletic director of athletic communications for Adelphi university, Ian Schreier. We cannot thank the two of you enough as this wow. is a new day on the Eastern observer and also on, uh, the Blackjack Media Group. Uh, it is a new day here on the Primetime Rundown, and uh, we are going to have the rotational hosts. Uh, and Ian, uh, I am beyond glad to say, has uh, has has taken the role and uh, and 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 run with it. And we are cannot again be more thankful for him to be on here all. Um, a lot of Fridays with us. He he loves to spend his uh, his Friday evenings with us here and just talk sports because what better way to tune out the negative and just. Ramble about sports. That's. It, it, I mean, it's either do that or watch the Mets lose. So I, I think I'd rather spend time with an Islanders fan and a Devils fan than watch the Mets. So. <laughs> there you go. So I'm really not making too much of a commitment, but I appreciate. It. <laughs> oh man! So we were talking about baseball just now, and uh, you know, we look at some of these trades here, fellas, and um, we and actually, it's it's very good, and I have to I have to show actually all of our uh, all of our guests. I actually took the time out and uh, and wrote every single trade that happened in the in a span of about uh, oh, yeah in, in about I would say I don't know forty eight hours and there's actually a couple of trades here that I want to go back to because we spoke about this last week Ian Schreier and we were talking about Kevin Pillar uh, with Boston and I thought that he was a goner right away and coincidentally Colorado snagged him for a player to be named later in future uh, future considerations but. I got to ask you this to start things off here. You're a New York Mets fan. What the hell are you getting Todd Frazier for and Robinson Chirinos for? I think I know why. Is there an injury bug that's going around in the New York Mets locker room? I have no answer for that, I know Todd Frazier is a good clubhouse guy. He was a great clubhouse guy when he was with the Mets the last couple of years. Um I know the Mets were interested in Chirinos uh, last off, this past offseason, so the fact that they traded for him did not surprise me. Uh, the fact that he's not batting his weight doesn't surprise me. Um, the fact that I want JT Realmuto, despite the fact that he's 30 in the offseason, as long as Steve Cohen pays him, I don't care. They need a catcher. Um, but I've got no answer for you that on that, Joey. I mean, it, 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 I mean, Brody's trying to defend it and say, yeah, we need, we, we need more guys that can hit. I think the average batting average between the two of them is like 190. So I don't know. I don't know what stats he might have been looking at. He might have been looking at Todd Frazier from the Reds and Robinson Chirinos maybe a couple of years with the Astro ago with the Astros. But uh, please, can we just can we just clean house already, please? <laughs> so a lot of these deals that when we were writing this down, Ian and Rob, and I don't know. And I remember Ian when we were talking about this last week with uh, with Patrick McCormick with PMAC. Um, we had, we had, we had to think about this. We had to say, you know, is it going to be a busy trade deadline? And coincidentally, we, I think all three of us, we didn't have an answer. And I think it was all, I think we all came up with a no. And I think major league baseball has thrown us a curveball here where it may not look like it's a lot of big moves, but a lot of moves period 
did occur. And a lot of them, though, were for players to be named later, cash considerations, or future considerations. We saw a lot of these one for later moves deals. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, the way it looks here, we look at Mitch Moreland. We look at Tommy Malone, Cameron Mabin for a few players. The biggest one here that I could think of, obviously, is Mike Clevenger. We'll get to him in a second. Um, but as you said, Ian, there is no, there is no answer for what Brody Van Wagenen brought in. He brought in Miguel Castro, right-handed pitcher, for Kevin Smith and a player to be named later. Who's uh, a, who the top 15 Mets prospect, by the way. Right. <laughs> we are, we are, that in there. Yeah. Are we surprised? No, we should not no. be surprised. No. Um, we, we brought this up last time where the executive, um, what do they call it? The executive um, discussions or sales pitch or whatever it was uh, last week, Steve Cohen was in, or excuse me, the executive uh, talks, um, with the Will Ponds to eventually buy the Mets. Um, but we haven't heard that yet. So clearly, as we could see, we do have, um, you know, puppets in the, uh, in the general manager's office uh, trying to figure out what to do here. Um, so as we said, Todd Frazier, Robinson Trinos, the New York Mets. Uh, but there were a lot of other moves, guys. And this is something that really is amazing. And I have to tell you this because San Diego uh, – they are a little bit, in my opinion, scary and not for the good way. Uh, I think, Ian, we spoke about this. I don't know if it was over text or if it was over uh, maybe our last show. Um, but also, let's not count out the Toronto Blue Jays either, what they did. They bolstered their four and five starters uh, with Robbie Ray and Taiwan Walker. Taiwan Walker was traded just before our uh, episode number 31. Um, but also, uh, you know, they also got a, a shortstop. My thought was that maybe the Angels would trade away Andrelton Simmons for a prospect because, well, they fired their whole scouts pool, so they don't have a good farm system anyway. But they got a player to be named later. Who could potentially be? Who knows? We don't know. Um, they also traded away Brian Goodwin, their left fielder, from the Angels. Um, Toronto shored up their shortstop position because Joe Panic is not a shortstop. Uh, and he's a second baseman, and he's playing uh, his, his off his offside, and um, he looked pretty bad at shortstop. And I'm sure uh, St. John's head coach Ed Blankmar, I'd love to hear his thoughts on it because he never played shortstop. Uh, <laughs> back to his days in Queens. Um, so Jonathan VR from Miami to to Toronto, Arizona, basically completely cleaned house again and traded Starling Marte to Miami. Um, and then the Indians traded Mike Clevenger to San Diego. Um, I, I want to ask you this, Ian Schreier, your thoughts on who potentially your winner and your loser is uh, from this deadline. My winner is the San Diego Padres by far. Um, it seemed like every hour or every day leading up to the deadline, they made another big move. Um, for the Padres, the first thing they did was we, we spoke about it last week about how poor their bullpen is. Um, Kirby Yates has, has not been the closer they expected. So what they do, they go out and they get uh, a guy who's really having a comeback tour in Trevor Rosenthal from Kansas City. They, they sure up their bullpen. Then what do they do? I know we discussed about the Red Sox making moves. I didn't expect Mitch Moreland to be on the move. So Mitch Moreland now goes to San Diego and gives them another good glove at first base to pair with Eric Hosmer. 
gives them a chance to platoon these guys, give guys off days, especially because you're playing so many days in a row. And then the cherry on top of it is Mike Clevenger. So, I mean, he didn't have a good first start. I mean, he pitched against the Angels, a struggling Angels team, a team that has basically more or less given up on the year and allows two runs, seven hits, and struck out two in the 2 nothing loss. So I, I think Clevenger's going to be fine. Um, again, I still have questions about their starting pitching outside of – I mean, obviously Clevenger was the big ad, but Paddock has not been great, but Lamed and Davies have done a good job uh, really filling in those holes. But the Padres, by far, their winner. My honorable mention, I'm going to add this in, is definitely the Miami Marlins. I think Starling Marte was a huge get for them for a team that no one expected to be even close to the playoff picture. Um, and I don't really have a loser. Um, and I'm not even going to throw the Yankees or the Dodgers in that discussion either, Joey. Um, I'm really not. I I think when it came, there really weren't any losers because we didn't know. There was. It's a 60-game season. We didn't know at the, at the time of the deadline who were going to be buyers and who were going to be sellers. So I don't really have a losing team here, but I would say the Padres are definitely my winner. So Rob DeLuca, right before – right, actually, you know what? No, I want to hear your thoughts, um, Rob DeLuca, on a winner and a loser from the deadline before I – because I, I, I want to I, I wanna, I wanna debate that with, uh, with Ian Trier for a second. But, Rob, I want to hear your thoughts. You know, the Padres are definite winners here. Like – Look, do I think they're a little off their rocker for going on a small winning streak and then pretty much buying up the entire house? Sure, but that doesn't mean they weren't effective moves, which they were. So they are definitely a legitimate threat right now. They they definitely took that that stuff with the Rangers personally. Like that, like you know, you don't run up the score. Meanwhile, we've been seeing games like at twenty three to five lately. Like, what are we talking about here about running up the score? Right. Well, we may have lost Rob DeLuca again. Uh, oh, boy. So let's wait. Rob DeLuca, do we have you? Yeah, you, keep, you, you got me. Yeah, we keep playing to the final inning, and that that's just the way baseball is. But, yeah, the Padres are definite winners. The moves they made, very effective. Granted, a little off their rocker because it was a small winning streak, and I didn't think they're quite there yet. But if they weren't there yet, they might be there now. So they are definite winners. The New York Yankees are absolutely losers here. They're, I don't even care that they – I don't care that they – I know there's the saying, you have to actually do something to be a loser. Doing nothing also makes you a loser because what on earth – we have half the team on the IL. More than half this team is on the IL, and it's clear they are bad at baseball when they are this handicapped with injuries. They are uh, bad team. They should have done something to tighten the rotation, get more depth out there in the infield, maybe find a catcher. You've got to be kidding me with this. So, so, I'm actually going to disagree with Rob, and I'll tell you why, and I'm sure Joey yeah. wanted to debate me on it anyway. <laughs> Remember how banged up they were last year, and I'm not saying it's not the same. Remember how banged up they were last year. They still won 103 games. Let me repeat that. 103 oh, yeah. games. They without did. Him, without Judge. A lot of the the, neck, the next man up mentality is a, right now is essentially showing to be a fluke because these are the same next men up who right. were playing in, in, place, in place of these injured stars last year. But I think and that's why you're not, not in the same seasons. But that's and why you're season. not seeing Cashman make any moves because guys like Mike Talkman, okay, Gio Urshela, I mean, and Duhar keeps getting tossed between, excuse me, keeps getting tossed between 
the alternate training site and the oh, yeah, this, how do you if do you how do you expect this guy to get a consistent I mean, number of there's someone months? who could have been moved Miguel Andujar was the perfect guy to trade here because we Frazier 2.0 fellas no no Wait, what was that Joey I said Clint Frazier 2.0. Clint Frazier 2.0? Nothing. Oh, God. No, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. Clint Frazier or Todd Frazier 2.0? Clint Frazier. Oh, Clint okay. Frazier okay. needs to play okay. every right. game. That I agree with then. Clint Frazier needs to play in every single baseball game that's left for the New York Yankees this season, and it's not even a question. And I hated this guy last year and the year before that. I hated Clint Frazier, but now he needs to be in the lineup every day. So now I'm going to debate Ian Schreier on this. So you said, <laughs> so hold on. So time out. You said that you didn't think that there were any losers in the deadline. No, I did not. Okay. So now I wrote this down and I actually did my homework for the first time in my school career. Congratulations <laughs> to me. Pat on the back. And I let all my high school teachers know that I actually did study for something. So for this, this is I something. I'm really waiting for a debate with Joey Jarzinka. I'm glad I got a four episode. <laughs> So here we go. Right. So the debate, the, the, the debate half hour with Joey Jazz here. So uh, the the my losers are the Los Angeles Angels. Well, again, as we did say earlier, you did not trade uh, for prospects. You are absolutely awful right now. And at 13 and 25, good for you. You won one game. Your run, uh, your run differential is a minus 27. You're not doing well. Anthony Rendon is not doing well. Ian, we brought up last week that the pitching for the Los Angeles Angels has to be better and it has not gotten better. And we don't know when it will ever be better. And I hate to say it, but again, ever since, and not even before that, but the death of Tyler Skaggs too, we also saw a major dip in production after because not only Andrew Heaney, uh, Shoei Otani, he did not pitch. Dylan Bundy has not gotten out of his out of uh, out of the flunk. And also, we can now officially say, and or I'm going to put my 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 stamp on this. But Dylan Bundy is a first round bust. That's what he is. He is a first round bust. I hate to say it. He couldn't get it done in Baltimore. He had a one year wonder. It was a flash in the pan for him, and he could not get it done. And now we can't. Uh, get it done under Mickey Calloway and uh, and Joe Madden. My next loser is the New York Yankees. Why? Because again, as injuries are beginning to mount, that next man up mentality. How many times can it work? Yes, I know. Ian, it's only number two. They won 103 games last year. Yay! But let's not let's be honest here. Can you repeat that performance two years in a row? That's a lot to ask for in Brian Cashman, especially in a 60 game sprint. We are running out of time here, right? This season's coming down. There's only three weeks left. This is so, so this is the part where I again, agree with Ian. So I disagree and agree. The agreeing part is, is that because also of this new 16 playoff format. Okay. Anything can happen in the playoffs. This is for all four major sports any single sport in the world. Anything can happen in a 60-game season, and all of a sudden, you can also be on a five-game winning streak like the Dodgers, okay, right now. And they were actually originally another one of my losers. Well, guess what? I crossed that out just about 10 seconds ago because they're not. They are not a loser. They are still – they actually – 
they're still the same. I thought that when they traded uh, Ross Stripling to Toronto, that that was a bad move. But then I realized again, hold on a minute. He is so home run prone. It's not even funny that he needs a new change of scenery. Good. Get him the hell out of, uh, out of the Chavez ravine. They don't need him. They're so far okay. There are questions in front of Kenley Jansen, though, obviously, with that 789 area. Uh, it's not working, but clearly... Again, their bats are coming alive, and in the last 10 games, they're 8-2. and two. Um, But my number one loser, Ian Schreier, Rob DeLuca, you ready for this? The Washington Nationals. They are so bad, it's not even funny. And we said this last year, 19-31, and 31, then they turned it around and won the World Series. Okay, well, guess what? You had Anthony Rendon. You had Juan Soto. You had Ryan Zimmerman. Okay, well, guess what? Two out of those three guys are no longer on the team one of which because they opted out and another one signed a massive deal, which is not really looking too hot on the West Coast. Right well, now, let me, Joey, let me interject here. Let me ask you this question. Let's when hear you, it. Your, your top two losers basically makes it seem like to me are, the, are, are besides the Yankees, are the, the Washington Nationals and the Los Angeles Angels. Correct. Okay. So let me start. Well, I guess this question can, can apply to both teams. Who exactly are you expecting them to trade? And, and I'm, I'm going to say, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to ask for your answer in a second here. First off, with Washington, they're not in, in rebuild mode yet, okay? Juan Soto obviously had everything that happened at the start of the season with COVID-19. He's not going anywhere. Who else on that team? You're not trading Scherzer. Strasburg is too injury prone. So who exactly right now on that team has any value whatsoever? I would look at potentially like a Sean Doolittle. I would look at potentially trying to rebuild a little bit, uh, just a tiny bit, because right now their farm system is depleted. That's the problem. Okay. Also. It's They're the same issue with the Angels, though. It's the same issue with the Angels. Trout's well, not going anywhere. They just signed Rendon. He's not going anywhere. Yeah, they yeah they traded Listella. You're right about Dylan Bundy, but these are guys that don't have an incredible amount of value. And I mean, the Los Angeles Angels have been in a rebuild for what feels like 20 years at this point. I feel so bad for Mike Trout. But with regards to the Nationals, they just won the World Series. If they were going to rebuild. They would have. They would have just dumped everybody at that point. No, you see, that's the thing is that we're not. Is that they're not going to start rebuilding. But the way I look at it, and their biggest maybe one year value, unfortunately, is on the sixty day injured list in Starlin Castro. So I still don't even think you get good value for him at this well, point. But, but see, that's the thing though is that if you look at every single value here, they're all cash considerations, international money, and players to be named later. So really, they're not good enough. All of these players, or maybe the market is is not working or whatnot. Not where they could get big name values coming from the other side, unless well, you with depleted farm systems, Joey. But with depleted farm systems, Joey, if you're talking about you're just trading for cash considerations and players to be named later, you're probably not getting a top prospect or anybody right now that is going to vastly improve your team and maybe even next year or even in five years. It's a so fair. I, it's a I, fair. I, yeah, so I have no issues with the fact of with with the Nationals and the Angels, especially the Nationals, because the Nationals have been hampered by injury. Especially with guys, obviously Soto's been on and off because he's been on the IL. He hasn't been. He started the year with COVID-19 and took two weeks to come back. Strasburg is, is, is a walking injury. So uh, to me, they're not in – if they were in rebuild mode, I, they, they tried their absolute hardest to re-sign Anthony Rendon. It's not like they just let him walk out the door. No, I understand that. I, and, and I understand that. But the way – but then I look also back – to the Los Angeles Angels, and I look to the beginning of the pandemic when their owner decided to completely strip their entire scouting system. 
Okay. So, and, and that's not, and that's not saying that, you know, just because of my relationship with the scouts, I could say that, but it's the utmost truth. You're a billionaire. Why are you stripping your whole, your whole farm system? You're, you're stripping these scouts from finding top players to potentially play for your organization. Okay. Well, guess what? Clearly you're buying these players and they're not working out for you. And it's not that Anthony Rendon hasn't worked out. It's you have to be better with buying these players. Anthony Rendon hasn't worked out. So maybe we want to get a little bit younger. Okay. Albert Pujols right now, I think he has what one or two years left on a massive deal. All right. Anthony Rendon, you, you really, okay. I don't want to say you did not need that. You know, didn't need that bat because of course you needed it around Mike Trout and Pujols is getting older. He's not there. He's not really there. And the pitching for, for the Angels is just so bad. And I think number 32 in, the, in, in terms of farm systems is the Angels. So why wouldn't you also trade Andrelton Simmons, who you could probably get a player to be named later for just something, even a prospect? Well, you're talking about – It's so bad. Joey, you're talking about a franchise. I, I I have to look back. I don't even remember the last year the Angels made the playoffs. It's got to be, be a decade plus at this point. I think I so, think so. 2014 or 13, when Trout, I think it was two years into Trout's career or three years into Trout's I mean, career. it was longer than that. I think, I think it was like, it, was it like 07 when they got to the um, the ALCS? Yeah, like it, I understand what the Angels front office is trying to do. They're trying to get Trout into the playoffs. You have this multi-millionaire player, best player in baseball, can't catch a break at all when it comes to postseason play. The, the Angels every year are an under 500 team, and they're not even just under 500. They are abysmal. Yeah. Yeah. No starting pitching. I understand your point, Joey, with trying to get what you're saying are players to be named later. But right now, the Angels, even though it might not seem that way, are in a process of trying to win. They want to try to at least get Trout back there if they haven't even been there with him. Right. And, 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 I, and I understand that, Ian, but the problem is, is that they can't make up their mind. That's the problem is that, okay, so they, they make up their mind in terms of, okay, so we are in win, win now mode. Okay, so do it. So try and do it. Spend money on pitching. You can't try and tell me from the three of us here sitting here and saying to ourselves, we're going to go in with Andrew Heaney as our number one, Dylan Bundy as our number two. That is a Baltimore Orioles type starting rotation. I'm sorry. That is absolutely. is Jared Weaver. I mean, think about how long ago that was. I mean, maybe someone can, someone can tell me I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure Jared Weaver, who pitched back in 2003, might have been their best number one pitcher of recent memory that I could think of. Yes, I have to agree. I I, I have to agree because the and only that, thing – That's a decade plus ago. Yeah. Yeah, Jared Weaver, Rob DeLuca, can you can you attest to that? I, I think that that sounds about right. I think I, – I couldn't tell you, but I don't – I can't tell him he's wrong either, so – It's – Again, it's really set. Again, you look at you you look at their at their bullpen and Julio Tehran. They they tried with him. It's not working. Now he's in the bullpen. Um, Hans, uh, <laughs> very funny. We we go back Hansel to the Robles. Hansel the, Robles. We remember him. Yeah, yeah, we remember him. Yeah, and uh, a fine job with him. Let me tell you. <laughs> but we remember him. But also, again, and this is something else too, is that a lot of these, there are some expiring contracts as well. So you're trying to sign Justin Upton. You're trying to get guys around my, around Mike Trout to win. But it's just, to me, the, pro the biggest problem here is that they can't, 
make up their mind. Now you're trading again, Tommy LaStella, they completely gave up on. Don't get me wrong. He was an all-star last year. He had an amazing beginning to 2019 last year, but then he fell off the grid because of injury. Yes, it stinks. It happens. And he was shipped off to Oakland. Um, it, it's again, it's, it's just, it's sad to see what's happening there where they try and get these washed up players. Remember, I think it was last year or two years ago, they got Ian Kinsler. Yes. Uh, they, yep. Yeah, right. They got Ian Kinsler. They got uh, Andrelton Simmons. And they thought, oh my goodness, this th this is the year. Well, guess what? Again, they finished like 20 games under 500. So that's why I'm saying any little bit, especially when you've won in a 60-game season, 12 games out of, I don't know, 40. What are we in, 40 games right uh, now? Everyone's had, different, everyone's had different games at this point. Right, exactly. I think it's just over 30 at this point. I think we're like 32, 33 maybe. Right, so whatever it is. So clearly things are not going in the right direction. So, okay, you traded away Brian Goodwin. You traded away Tommy LaStella. I also just believe, though, is that with the defensive side of things, and this is what I was trying to say last week, with Toronto, you could have gotten another player to be named later on a team that has a fairly good farm system. So you never know how good these guys can pan out, which is what I'm trying to say. And just... Any expiring contract this year, and that goes with Washington too, any expiring contract, get them out of there and get a prospect. Try and build for next year. Minor League Baseball also is in such a flunk right now where we may be seeing the Brooklyn Cyclones as the Mets double-A team. We don't know what the deal is with these minor league players. We don't know what the whole deal is. And I also believe personally that this, what I with the, the spiel that I just rambled upon, um, has has another impact in that as well, where we don't know where these guys are going to land. Are these teams going to be affiliated with Major League Baseball? We have no idea. Um, but moving on with my winners, um, I want to say uh, San Diego Padres is not one of them. And why I want to say from the two of you is because do you guys remember back in 2015 when they, uh, I don't know if it was A.J. Preller or if it was, I, I think it might have been A.J. Preller and how he still has his job. So I might be wrong there, but 2015, if we remember Justin Upton, um, they traded basically the farm, literally the farm. They traded away everybody for Upton. Uh, they had Will Myers. Um, they yeah. also, uh, who, who was that from, uh, from Oakland? Um, the catcher, uh, boy, I oh. can't, I can't remember his name. Ramon Hernandez. Was it? No, no. no uh, he was uh he was a uh, guy uh guy with a beard and orange hair um I don't remember his name I don't remember his name from the, from from that I'll 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 have it on on my other screen here I'll I'll be able to pull it up in just a few moments but um right now things things were going great right now and I think that um you know to to basically I don't want to say rebuild your starting lineup but I like what you said, Ian, with Mitch Moreland because that that definitely helps Eric Hosmer, and especially because of the universal designated hitter now that we're seeing in, in Major League Baseball. Uh, Eric Hosmer can get a day at DH. Mitch Moreland can stay at DH yeah. or play flip a couple. Two, you flip the two every night, unless yeah. one is struggling at first base. You flip the two every night. Yeah. Exactly. But also the thing that I, that that scares me though is also the Mike Clevenger deal. Yes, it's good to to now have your number one in there, but again, now we're starting to see the pressure on San Diego. And I hope Fernando Tatis and Manny Machado, Eric Hosmer, that infield, they can make sure that, that it's there. Will, Will Myers knows all about it because he was a part of that whole 2015 saga. He was there. He knew all about it. Um, 
he, uh, uh, Justin Upton's brother, Melvin or BJ or whatever he wanted to go by. Um, he was, he was a part of that as well. Um, you know, San Diego also got from Seattle, Taylor Williams for a player to be named later. Um, Mitch Moreland had gone there. Um, as we said before, Trevor Rosenthal, um, who else did we say? Uh, obviously Mike Clevenger. Um, so it, it, to me, it, it's a win, but it's also, it, it's, it's a win with a question mark because there's so many questions to see if these guys can perform. Um, you have to remember, Joey, the Padres have been in what felt like rebuild mode ever since they got rid of Adrian Gonzalez. Uh, yeah. You're talking, you're talking about eight, nine, nine years by now. I mean, they've been in a rebuild for some time and they have always missed that key player. And when they had, when they finally, finally broke the mold and got Machado, it started attracting talent to San Diego. I mean, they have a real nice farm system. You know, they had, you know, a player like Austin Hedges, um, but right. now you see a guy like Jake Cronenworth, who's really contributing, who's just starting every single day. Um, you've got a full lineup. You've got obviously Tatis, who's you know now one of the best players in all of baseball. This has been almost a decade in the making for the Padres. So to say win with a question mark, sure. But this is a team that hasn't been to the playoffs in a while. Yeah, and they've been pretty in, in a pretty good shape with about twenty plus games to go um, to get there. Absolutely, gotta agree with Ian here. But. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong, and, and I want to I want to get back to you, Rob, in just a second. But this was a big thing too. So AJ Preller, um, he traded he he traded for Craig Kimbrell, um, Justin Upton, Matt Kemp, James Shields. We remember that as well. James, yeah. Mm-hmm. Will Myers, um, and they it was thirty. They were thirty two and thirty three in sixty five games. Listen. That, in my opinion, is not a winning recipe. And they also had the everlasting Josh Johnson as their number two starter, who was more than glass. He was, uh, he was, you know, if you touch him, he's literally, uh, he's done. Um, you know, you had, you had that. You had Tim Fedorowicz, uh, Ryan Hannigan, Derek Norris. That was the uh, the catcher that I was talking about. Um, you know, it's, I mean, I'm not saying, Joey, that the history doesn't go against them, but I mean, the fact of the matter is, is they've rebuilt that team into something resembling a contender. Yes, uh, no, I, would, I wouldn't even say when you're talking about 2015. I mean, you, hindsight's always 2020, but you're, you were taking James Shields off of one big season. Mm-hmm. You were, you know, it, it, this is a completely different team. If they find a way to add one more big arm, I mean, listen, I'm not saying that the jury is still out on Chris Paddock. I am not high on him whatsoever. Um, especially when he was like, oh yeah, I'm better than Pete Alonzo. Okay. You, you got sent down to triple A, came back. And now this year you, you were supposed to be the ace of the Padres pitching staff and you have a four plus ERA. So tell me how much better you are. Yeah, but no, that, that's they, they are, they are one arm away. And if they can sure up that bullpen, that, that lineup's going to keep them good for some time. I mean, the Dodgers have the money to play with, but the Padres right now are right there. The reason why, and the reason why I brought up with the Padres being, a win with a question mark is because you're going to hear a lot. And Ian, we work in the media, regardless of us, of us, um, you know, working in college sports, we all, we, we know about the media. We know about journalism. We know about whatever the case is. And San Diego is a major market. It's not as major as here or Boston or Philly or wherever it may be, but don't try and tell me that San Diego media is basically going to say, well, can you, it, 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 to AJ Preller that is, is that, well, you made all these moves. 
well, look how well it turned out for you in 2015. And don't get me wrong, is that all of the expectations were there. Yes, I know that we are in a shortened season. I know that, obviously, they they bought, um, excuse me, they bought uh, while they were while they were doing great, so they need just a couple more pieces. But in just one false swoop, again, as Rob DeLuca said, it's a 60-game season, and it could literally implode in a matter of seconds because— Absolutely a lot of different players now that were not a part of their winning DNA before. So now we're trying to improve. So, but the problem that I have is, is that do you improve so much that it could potentially become a losing situation? And that's the part where I bring back 2015 because yeah. th this team was written off as the NL West um, uh, champions right away. And that could potentially contend with the LA Dodgers at the time or uh, uh, sorry, 2015. That was with the Arizona diamondbacks when it was still Paul Goldschmidt and them. So, right. you know, it, it's tough. It, it's tough. But again, I agree with the both of you there, but the, the question mark is the part where I disagree with the two of you. Um, and that's the good thing about this show. We can agree <laughs> to disagree and debate. Amen. It's a lot, it's a yeah. lot of fun. And it's, I, I, love, crazy. I, I love doing that. Um, so, yeah, Joey, if I may, if I may, while, while they were, I think they were winners of the deadline. They're still not the best team in their division. No. Not even a little no, bit. But, no, but from a hitting perspective, they can hit just as well as the Dodgers. Oh, they could hit just as well, but just yeah. overall team. I mean, I'm, not putting, I'm not putting their rotation against each other. And listen, I wouldn't. I, wouldn't. I mean, this is really the second year of, of what is really considered this finally this move this move up from the rebuild. Right. And and they've never had a superstar probably since Tony Gwynn. Yeah. That has that has the Hollywood name of Manny Machado. It will be interesting to see what they do in the playoffs. And yes, they will be there. I'm gonna just be bold right now. I mean, Colorado's, you know, I mean, I think Colorado maybe can still make a jump a little bit, but you know, San Francisco's pretty much dead in the water, and so and Arizona has already said that we're done. So there's yeah. no reason for for San Diego. Now. They traded Robbie Ray. They knew they were, they knew they were done. They all. It wasn't only that. They traded away Robbie Ray. They traded away. Um, Archie, oh, Brandon. yep, they traded away all of those guys. They traded away uh, Andrew Chafin to Chicago for a player to be named later. So many moves that Arizona did uh, during this trade deadline, but also finally, fellas, my last winner here uh, is the Toronto Blue Jays, what they've done as well. Um, again, I, I truly believe that they can do it uh, in terms of getting in the playoffs. I don't think they're gonna going to go far, but well, I think that they, well, Joey, the way this season's going, they'll pass the Yankees with ease at this rate. At right. the way things are going, you've yeah. seen the way both teams are playing. The Blue Jays are very much on the uptrend. The Yankees could not be on a for, uh, on a harder downward spiral than they are right now. Mm -hmm. And if the Yankees don't figure this out, I think the Blue Jays will easily pass them. And I also believe too that the trade for Ross Stripling as well. Um, I think that that was a good landing spot for him as well, because again, the spotlight is not going to be on him. And he also has another couple of years of control as well. Um, I, I, I personally do believe that let's say I'm, I'm going to retract that statement there about not the, the spotlight, not being on him, but ever since they lost Ken Giles, they, 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 they needed a little bit of a spark in the back end of the bullpen. And I know that this, that this man here, he's got a lot of baggage coming from, uh, from Los Angeles because he's, I think he averaged, I think it was like, 
Uh, I think he had, or I think he has like a five ERA or something like that because of his home run rate is so high. And it's one of the highest in all of major league baseball. So uh, better off for Los Angeles to part ways with him and maybe a change of scenery, but uh, for, for his sake, I'm hoping that, you know, the spotlight is not on him um, a lot and maybe they can, you know, shy away from him and uh, slowly maybe use him as a seventh or eighth inning guy and whatever the case may be. Um, so yeah, so those so those are my winners. I also have Miami in here um, because of Starling Marte, and I believe, and if I'm not mistaken, he does have another year under his belt. I think. Uh, I think he does have a year of control. I mean, I thought it was great that they acquire him Monday. He's in the lineup Tuesday, and he hits a, he hits a game winning solo shot. Uh, I don't to win the game. So talk about <laughs> they're, not, they're not anything like to write home about. I mean, I think leading into the deadline, they were hitting like 213 as a team, right. which is to be expected. But, I mean, the Marlins are one of the best stories in baseball. I mean, that would It doesn't get more 2020 than the seasons that the Baltimore Orioles and the Miami Marlins are having in, the fact, in just the fact that they don't horrendously stink. Yes. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys. So we actually took a ton of time, but we still got a little bit of football to speak about. And the two of you are Giants fans, so I'm going to leave this to you. Uh, <laughs> Logan Ryan. Logan Ryan was just signed to a one-year contract worth $7.5 million. His demands went down about 25% uh, because no one wanted to pay him $10 million. So why not Dave Gettleman come in and pay him uh, 25% of what he wanted um, and uh, $7.5 million, and he reunites with Joe Judge when you know they were both in New England. And Logan Ryan also brings a lot of experience, not only playoff experience, but also Super Bowl experience as well. He got two rings uh, with the uh, New England Patriots. So um, with the reinforcements that they need, because their secondary was pretty good at one point before DeAndre Baker decided to, you know, rob oh, things. Really? You thought yeah. you we got a lot of talking to do. I, I, I thought that they were decent. We had problems before that. Listen, I thought that they were decent, but this is just an outsider looking in. Wow. What is, fellas, what does Logan Ryan do for your, uh, for your secondary? Ian, first. I mean, I, I'm still over the moon about the fact that you think DeAndre Baker is good. But, I mean, listen, he was only, you know, he was only a year and a half in. Um, but, I mean, listen, Sam Beal opted out. You know, he was the guy they got a couple of years ago in the supplemental draft. DeAndre Baker's obviously now having run-ins with the law. Um, I mean, outside of the fact that when they traded Janoris Jenkins at the deadline last year, they acquired James Bradbury in free agency. Um, remember, Logan Ryan got new representation because he couldn't get a contract. So he got new representation had interest, a Rutgers guy, interest in returning home, going to Jersey, playing for the Giants, playing for a coach he has familiarity with in Joe Judge. And he's going to help the Giants. There's no question about it. They are super thin right now in, in the defensive backfield. Mainly it's mainly at cornerback. A little bit of free safety because they lost Xavier McKinney. But that's the nice thing about Logan Ryan. He gives you versatility. He could play safety. He could play corner. He's done both. He did one thing in New England, and he did another thing when he was in Tennessee. Um yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm very high right now on, on uh, their fourth-round draft pick at a UCLA, Darnay Holmes. He's looked really good in camp. Um, so I think I, I, I'm not ruling out a potential reunion with Prince of Mukamara. He got released by the Raiders. I think there's a very good possibility um, that maybe we could see him return on, on, on a cheap contract because right now their number two starting corner or who they were hoping their number two starting corner was going to be was Corey Ballantyne, who was an undrafted free agent last year who's had, who had a nice preseason – but the thing is, his training camp this year has been horrible. So it, it's nice to see them address it. They needed to address it. I still don't think they're done addressing it. I really like the move. 
Yeah, it's a great Logan Ryan is was absolutely a highlight pickup, especially losing Xavier McKinney, which is a, a death blow because uh, if our secondary, uh, you know, I'll be nice and use the word term you did in thin, very very thin. It's just it's a move that'll help. This team is like. Essentially, this team potentially went from like five wins to six wins with that. I don't think it's a huge difference maker because I still no. think this team has way too many problems and not enough depth to even become close to a competitor. I I have been for months, even before the signing, said this team's ceiling is six and ten. I don't think this move changes that. So anything. Well, yeah, I, don't get me wrong. I, I don't. I don't believe it. It's a monumental thing. I don't believe it's monumental. But the reason why I spoke, I I was speaking highly about DeAndre Baker was because, uh, regardless of his of his trouble with the law before, um, you know, regard. I, I personally do not believe that he would be a first round bust. And I think also with Logan Ryan coming in here. Uh, he's he's going to be able to not only mentor a lot of these young players, not only on in the secondary, but also on the defense and even sometimes in the offense as well. Listen, a lot of these coaches also, and now we're starting to see players. Okay, they are coming from not only Dave Gettleman's old old uh, old employer, the Carolina Panthers, who by the way were just in the Super Bowl about five years ago. Uh, so they know about about you know I don't want to say a winning mentality, but almost there. But the New England Patriots they know all about it, and a lot of their uh, a lot of their old employees are now in New Jersey. Uh, and really right now, and that includes Logan Ryan. So not only do you have experience and championship, uh, leadership on the field, but you also have it, uh, you know, wearing the headsets as well. So, um, you know, in terms of being six and 10 or whatever, and the reason why I brought up DeAndre Baker is because I thought that maybe he would not have a sophomore slump. I really do believe that if he was able to come back and play maybe alongside James Bradbury, I really do believe that maybe at some point he would be able to find his groove and get out of the funk that he had in his freshman year. And remember now, he doesn't even have an opportunity to come back because his arraignment has been pushed back about three or four months. So yep. he's now going to be on the, the exempt list straight yep. through the summer. So, I mean, listen, I don't even think he would be coming back. Remember, DeAndre Baker, you, you want to call him a first-round bust or not? Remember, they traded back, remember, they traded back into the first round to go get him. So, I, you know, he had red flags on him coming into the draft. That's a big question mark for me. Um, he was graded as the best. At, to that point, not one corner had been taken in the draft. So he, it shows how, not how deep the cornerback position was in that draft. Okay? So with DeAndre Baker, it's, you know – I don't think it's a, it's a huge loss. I, he, he really didn't look good last year, so I wouldn't even say so much it would have been a sophomore slump. It might have just been a, another Eli Apple-like move where they he just doesn't perform to expectation. James Bradbury, Jabril Peppers, Logan Ryan, um, and whoever the other potential either safety or cornerback would be because right. Logan, Logan Ryan's flexible. He could potentially even be a safety. Yeah, it'll be it'll probably be Darnay Holmes as well. Um, like yeah. I said, don't don't rule out the print the Prince of Mukamara signing. Um, they'll probably they cut him, but I think they're going to re-sign him to the practice squad and use him. So they also have Grant Haley, um, who they'll probably re-sign to the practice squad and elevate for Week One if they need another free safety. And then they also have Julian Love, uh, their fourth round pick a year ago at Notre Dame. 
uh, that they really like as well, that they would like to put a free safety. So we'll see what happens come week one. I mean, we have no preseason to look at. So the press has very limited access to training camp. So everything we're going to see is going to come week one. We have no four-week lead-up this year, no two-week lead-up, no nothing. So what we're going to see, we're going to see Monday night against the Steelers, and that's all we're going to be able to go off of. Yeah, it's really crazy and something that I had brought up last week too, and I think me, you, Ian, uh, and also PMAC did say uh, was that week one we're going to see an abundance of injuries because these guys have not gotten any game time, any uh, you know real game experience, whatever the case is, and especially a lot of these first-round picks, they're going into it with no nothing. Uh, no warmups. The only thing that, and, and also a very short OTA there's, there's everything that is short. There's no preseason. There's nothing under their belt. And on top of it too, they are rookies going into a, into an empty stadium with cardboard cutouts. Uh, really, really crazy stuff. Um, let's keep it moving here as we do have about five or about 10 more minutes. Uh, Leonard Fournette, uh, he's now with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We we were wondering actually where would he land, and uh, all of a sudden he's jumped up in fantasy. And I know Ian's got his draft uh, tonight or in, a, in a, about an hour. Uh, <laughs> so you know now now with that being said, Leonard Fournette, fourth overall pick in 2017, is this is this Shad Khan's Shad Khan saying, all right, I'm waving the white flag, let's go to London. I don't think, first off, that they're going to London. He pretty much dismissed that rumor a year ago. Um, yeah. I don't think they're going to London, first off. Um, if, it, if, if that comes up, it the NFL might have it arise. But remember, Fournette has been acquired, and he's been labeled now by Bruce Arians as, verbatim, a heck of a piece of insurance. Yeah. Um, Ronald Jones the third right now is the starting running back in Tampa. How much I believe that now after they acquired Fournette to go with Shady McCoy and Keyshawn Vaughn raises a lot of red flags for me. Um, I think that in an hour, even though Arians is adamant and saying Rojo is our guy, I'll believe that week one when they're playing Drew Brees in, in the Superdome. Um, so uh, is the confidence actually there in Ronald Jones because you got Fournette? I don't know, but he's still going to get his carries. But right now until – until further notice or until we see it on the field to suggest that Fournette is going to be the guy in the primary ball carrier. Right now, the head coach there is saying Ronald Jones is our guy and he's going to have to screw it up in order to lose. Rob DeLuca. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of just in, in agreement with Ian here. I mean, there's no doubt that Fournette, look, he got a good deal. Let's be real. But, I mean, he's got a good deal. He's got Tom Brady as his quarterback. He might not, he's, pro he's probably not the starting running back, but at the same, but yeah, at the same time, he really is a heck of a piece of insurance. Like, God forbid something happens to Jones, and there you go. You got Leonard Fournette right there, ready to just step in and take it to whoever they play. He'll be a nice little addition to give the starter some rest. But, yeah, other than that, I mean, you know, I was kind of indifferent on it. I didn't want – I don't need him. I didn't see – I really didn't see where else he would go other than New England because, you know, Bill Belichick has a knack for picking up guys like that, but he ended up going following Tom Brady instead. So we'll see. Don't you guys just love NFL memes every time a big free agent, big guy hits free agency, they, they play that video of Belichick walking out to the Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> it's so true because, you know what, he has his hands all over everything. It's true. And you know what? And just like – and I remember – 
few months ago when Cam Newton was released and then when Tom Brady uh, signed in Tampa, the first thing I thought of, that's it. Cam Newton is either going to L.A. or he's either going to Vegas. And if he's not going to either either one of those teams, he's going to New England. And look where he is now. He's also he's going to be wearing the C in year number one under Bill Belichick. Had the starter. Should exactly. be an interesting year for them in New England. For the record, they're still winning the AFC East. You can't convince me otherwise. Nope. Oh, that is that is another another topic that we're going to have to discuss uh, next week because the the season starts on uh, on Thursday. Texans and Texans and Chiefs. Absolutely yep. crazy how time has flown. Um, now, Bring on football. That's yeah. all. I, I can't wait. I'm so excited. It's going to be really a lot of fun. So, uh, uh, Joey, I guess one last football question to you: Are you ready for Jalen Hurts? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I kind of have no choice because I'm dealing with glass and I'm looking at it right at the television. So <laughs> is, he, is he no good? Can he not go week one? No, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know. I haven't read up on it. And uh, you know what? I, I honestly I'm so fed up with the offensive line and everything that the way that they're treating uh, Jason Peters and how things have been leaking out of the locker room. Uh, it's an absolute biz, uh, it's an absolute atrocity to see what's going on right now in Philadelphia on the offensive line and the way that they're treating their Hall of Fame left tackle, um, now converted into a right guard. But th- there are certain things that should not be made public and are being made public. It's really, really not good. Uh, I'm sure the three of us will love it, seeing Dallas handed this division on a silver platter. We must all love that. Oh, please. Well, we don't know. Listen, we don't know. I mean, I think even before Carson Wentz, suffered an injury again I but we, yeah. all, we all felt dallas was going to be the prevailing team in that division hands down anyway so you know like whence or not uh you know especially with the fact of how torn up right now that old line is in philly there's nothing to suggest otherwise that dallas is yeah. the best team in that division uh, but they might be the best team in that division this year at like nine and seven but I, I mean look if there's going to be like an nfl preview show next week and i'm on it i promise you i'll i've got my own nfc east uh, discussion but it's not. It's not an if you're on. It's when you're on. Uh, uh, I appreciate that, Joey. Thank you. So now, of course, now we look to. Uh, we'll we'll finish off with, uh, with with two last things. If you guys still have a couple of more minutes, uh, with two last sure. things, we're gonna finish off uh, with Yannick and Gakwe to uh, Minnesota to form uh, a solid defensive line. He replaces Everson Griffin, which I think is a pretty good replacement. My goodness, you replace uh, Griffin with uh, with Ngakwe. It was a pretty. It wasn't really a steep deal. It was a, a a second round pick for next year and a conditional fifth rounder in 2022. We'll also fi- and we will finish off with hockey and it's going to be with the former Washington Capitals coach, uh, head coach, making his way to Pittsburgh. We'll get to that in just a moment. So uh, we are uh, one minute past the top of the hour, eight o'clock. We normally stop at eight o'clock, but we just want to finish these two things. So thank you for staying along with us here on the Eastern Observer and the I ninety five Sports. Network here on Zingo Television, channel 198. Ian Schreier, Rob DeLuca, I'm Joey Jarzinka. Let's finish this off on top. Uh, Yannick Ngakwe, guys, to Minnesota from Jacksonville. Um, Jacksonville is basically trading away everything. They're completely going in a rebuilding mode. Uh, They received a second-round pick in next year's draft from Minnesota, which will most likely be a low pick. Uh, and then a conditional fifth rounder in 2022. And they were actually able to do this deal. Why? Because Yannick Ngakwe said, all right, well, I'm going to rip up that uh, that that franchise tender. And he's going to sign a one-year $12 million deal. And he took a $5 million pay cut to join 
a winning team, but he was not the only one to take a pay cut. Ian Schreier, your thoughts before we get into the Riley Reef situation. Uh, thoughts on Ngakwe? Yeah, I mean, remember, he took he took a $5, 6000000 million pay cut, but he's also a one-year guy, so he's got a lot to prove. He's going to play on the other side of Daniel Hunter, um, who was the third-round pick of the Vikings a few years ago. 14 and a half sacks last year. That was top five in, in the entire National Football League. Um, so they're certainly, as you said, replacing Everson Griffin. They needed someone on the opposite side of Hunter to play that right defensive end, um, and they got the guy that they wanted. I mean, they got the guy that I should say they, they really need. So um, they're still strong you know, in the linebacking corps with Barr. Um, they're still great on, in, in the secondary. They still have Harrison Smith, so that still counts for a lot. Um, the Vikings are, are already projected to be a solid team in, in what's really a very stacked NFC North, so I'm very eager to see who comes out of that division. Um, I, I, I still will never count out the Packers as long as Aaron, the, that guy Aaron Rodgers is still there. So, uh, But getting back on point with, uh, with Ngakwe, um, I mean, 22 and a half sacks between him and Hunter last year, um, it's a huge move for Minnesota to really restabilize uh, that defensive line after losing such a core piece in Everson Griffin to Dallas. Yeah, that's that's something else too. Rob DeLuca, your thoughts on uh, on seeing Minnesota and what they can do now with uh, with a, let's call it a new and improved defensive line. Oh no, it, to, put it, <laughs> to put it lightly, I think that they're going to be a, uh, they're going to be a big threat in the NFC North this year, as they have been for years past. I mean, maybe this is my bias speaking, but for me, their biggest question mark remains the the man under center in Kirk Cousins. Like, look, the three of us are familiar with him. We watched him for how many years in Washington? He's not that good. You like that? You like that? You, yeah, I, yeah. I, I liked how bad you were. That's what I really liked. I mean. Yeah, you've got and you yeah got these strong weapons around. Well, he lost one in Stefan Diggs actually, but still, I mean, yeah, they're still very good. They got Thielen. They're you know they're a very solid team. Dryer drafted. You wonder though, as Washington cut him today, do, do the Vikings just bring him back cheap and say you know what, let let the let the legend finish what he started where it started in no. Adrian Peterson? No, I don't see it. I don't see you it. Never, I don't see it. I mean, you want to put them on. I mean, listen, they're already so loaded in the backfield with uh, Dalvin Cook and Latavius Murray. I mean, I, if you want, I mean, listen, Latavius is not in New Orleans. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. So, yeah, then you know what? Actually, then I'm wrong. So, um, yeah, so maybe it would make sense. But I mean, I, you know, do you want to run a two headed monster out there? It wouldn't be the worst idea, but you've got such a. It's the same thing in Dallas where your biggest question mark is the man on the center. You know, like, who's who's the back of the that, that, that's, that's, that's evading me right now. Amir uh, Abdullah. What? No, not Amir Abdullah. Oh. Uh, uh, oh, uh, There's someone there's, they say there's. Yeah, uh, he was huge in the, he was huge in the, uh, in the wild card game against the saints last year. And I'm, and I'm losing. No. I'm, I'm, I'm missing it. Hold on. Let's see. see uh, yeah. If anyone's watching right now, please. Yeah, please you know, comment and, let, and, and, and make me feel really, really uh, dumb. For, uh... <laughs> yeah, remember, guys. Oh, please, oh Madison. Mike Boone. Mike, Mike Boone, CJ Ham. No, Madison. Al uh... oh, Alexander Madison, yes. Yes, yes. I couldn't yes. think of it for the life of me. Yeah. But he was just as – he was more than serviceable as a, as a – yep. As, as the second head of that two-headed monster with him and Cook. So, I, no, I, I agree with Rob. I don't think AP is necessary at this point. He's not. Yeah, but, it, you know, it'd be, fu it would fu it'd be fun. 
Is yeah, yeah. Right? No, I, I, I agree. The way you came in, why not? Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I I personally do not believe that um, that AP is going to go there. I I don't. I see him as a uh, as a. Free any, is he going anywhere? Is the question? Yeah, no, he's not. He, I don't. I, I think somebody will pick him up. A hundred percent. He still has. Yes, absolutely. He still has football left in him. He might not go to a winner, but I think somebody. I, I think a winner should actually pick him up. To be quite honest, a winner should pick him up. I mean, good. It's a good thing Washington let him go because they're certainly not. But. Who gets him? You know, because you know what? We we mentioned it a few minutes ago. Who's to say Bill Belichick doesn't put his hands in there and do it anyway? He's already got a two headed monster in Mich- and Michelle uh, and, White, yeah. and White, but they're so it's just, a Bill, it's just a Bill Belichick thing to do. Yeah. I don't see that. I don't see that because exactly. James White, Rex Burkhead, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. It doesn't, but it's just a Bill Belichick thing to do, just like it didn't make sense when they got Josh Gordon. That's fair. That's definitely fair. So we're going to end it off on that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we really do appreciate you guys spending uh, the night here with me, Ian Schreier, Rob DeLuca. So much to discuss here in the world of sports. We didn't get to the whole Alvin Kamara situation, but it really isn't much because it looks as if that he will be staying there in New Orleans. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but we will see what the deal is ladies and gentlemen on tuesday night uh the essential wrestling podcast returns presented to you by pro wrestling pickham al carl john diaconti john smith and minutes to bell times ryan joy will be uh coming to you live right here on the eastern observer starting at 6 p.m tuesday september 8th also we'd like to announce here on this show normally this is al carl's job but uh, but we're going to do it here on our show. We are going to have uh, on our interview series, episode number 36, uh, from just down the road uh, from Ian Schreier's job at Adelphi at Nassau Community College, an old friend of mine, uh, Brian Kaur, Nassau Community College women's, head, women's basketball head coach. He has turned a five-team uh, uh, a five win, a five, excuse me, a five game winning team into a 25 win team and one of the best teams in all of division three Juco women's sports. So pretty cool stuff. And he has begun to set records. And also he started up his own startup as well called uh habit basketball. Uh, so we'll be talking with him next Thursday, right here on the Eastern observer, starting at 8 PM Eastern time. Also, ladies and gentlemen, too, I know we don't have any other Islanders fans here on board, but we are running a promotion right now. If anyone wants to win a sign, Matt Martin puck, God help you. If you want this, but <laughs> uh, follow, follow at observe Eastern on Twitter and, or on Instagram at the Eastern observer, or why not give us a like and a shout out on Facebook at the Eastern observer. And in addition to that, those are the instructions. Show us how you are enjoying the playoffs. Uh, maybe tomorrow we can see how you are in the fetal position uh, during this game seven. We will see lots of good things ahead of us as well. And also the Eastern Observer and the Blackjack Media Group are also accepting intern uh, internship spots as well. So, ladies and gentlemen, one final time, excuse me, Ian Schreier, Rob DeLuca, I'm Joey Jozinka, and for all of us here at the Blackjack Media Group and the Eastern Observer, we'll see you next time.